This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We are live here on Monday morning, 7 a.m., reviewing all the week four action. You ready to go, Sam? Yeah, let's go. All right, we got another week almost in the books. We talked a little bit about Thursday night football on the PFF NFL Daily on Friday, mostly about Tua Tungavailoa and Concussion controversy. Yes, and uh, look at you already in the chat telling people to hit the like button. I know, right up top. That's right. That should be like, as soon as you get in. Uh Uh-huh. Thumbs up. Smash it. Right? See if we can get to the like button. To, uh, we need all million people to hit yeah, the like yeah. button. Um, so we already talked a little bit about Thursday Night Football. We're going to go through all of Sunday's action. And then we got a pretty good Monday Night Football game tonight. Rams and 49ers. But let's start uh, somewhat in order. Let's start in London. Was it in London? Yeah. Okay. Spurs Stadium. Of course. It looks very fancy. They're just over in England. I haven't been there. It does look. I mean, it looks cleaner than, um, what's it called? Wembley. Wembley. Yeah, Wembley is kind of old and rickety at this stage. Yeah, well, I, mean, you know, I think the NFL is getting more away from like the like the high grass and you know the chopped up turf and stuff like that. Yeah, you, you want it, it more. can suffer at times. The, uh, yeah. the pitch at Wembley. That's a, the the pitch at Wembley. Exactly. Thank you for. Uh, yeah, sure. All right, Minnesota Vikings twenty eight, New Orleans Saints twenty five. Yeah, we had a, a ginger theory game. Well, yeah, a, a test for the ginger theory, which was an, an early morning Andy Dalton performance. Andy Dalton played pretty well. Yeah, overall. so what does that do to the ginger theory? So if you just looked at PFF grades, yeah, Andy Dalton versus Cooper Rush versus Carson Wentz, I think Dalton took the ginger performance, basically, played the best out of the three. But Cooper Rush, only one of them could win. Cooper Rush took the the, the QB the win. win. Okay, right. So, so only one of the three got a win, but only one of the three graded well, and it yeah. was Dalton. There's also a possibility that Carson Wentz got nothing. Yeah, there's also a possibility that time zones, you know, affects this. Yeah, and then as long as they're not, only one person can have it in any time zone, or in any any time slot for the games. You know. Ah, uh, yeah. So Dalton can have it for the 9 a.m. Wembley thing, or not Wembley, Spurs Stadium, London game. Got to pass it on though. But once he's done, it's up for grabs again. 
So for grabs, Cooper Rush may have grabbed it, even though he didn't play great. So anyway, um, we got hashtag Morning Kirk, Kirk Cousins. Morning Kirk. Uh, maybe a little bit of luck at the end, but he's got a game. Quite a lot of luck. He's got he's got a lot of fourth quarter magic the last couple of weeks. Game winning drives and the whole thing. Yeah. At about eleven thirty in the morning, man's in his zone. Oh yeah. Humming. That is the perfect caffeine level, right? Like mid-morning, perfect caffeine level before you start crashing. I mean, maybe that's what Kirk really needs to look into is the uh, caffeine timing in his life. Somebody asked me at one point, I, I, I went hunting through the DMs in that magical folder where they get hidden that you don't pay attention to. Um, and somebody was saying that they, I forget what the term for this is, but I assume that thing where any weird audio sound of people eating or whatever makes you freak out. And they were like, when you take a drink of your coffee, can you please be the hell away from the microphone, essentially, was the request. Was that to you specifically? It was to me specifically, but I assume it's applicable to everybody as opposed to my personal sounds of drinking a slug of coffee yeah. is offensive to them. I imagine yours would be as well. That's where we... Uh... I'm trying to accommodate, but it's not something that readily jumps to mind. Well, so... Tyler needs to know that you're off camera when you're doing that. I mean, that's not... I mean, the bigger thing is just to remember, get the hell away from the microphone for me. Yeah, but I'm, I'm we, don't have the, we don't have the cough button anymore. We don't have the True. cough button anymore. Um, all right, so what are your thoughts on this game? 28-25, again, the Vikings, a couple comebacks here, some key plays just before the half. Andy Dalton strip-sacked by Dalvin Tomlinson, a couple decent performances by the Vikings, unfortunately also losing first-round rookie Lewis Seen on a special teams play. Yeah. What are, your, uh, what are your takeaways on this one? Yeah, that sucked for Seen. He actually he got at least a snap on defense, you know, because I, I noticed him before uh, on – a regular defensive play which he was struggling to get so far this season and then just a freak injury on a special teams play he's running down there with the the gunner kind of weird collision of bodies and then just the way his leg lands one snap on defense he played one that was all he got yeah um yeah one just a weird way that his leg caught in the turf and bam one of those leg fractures and it was pretty obvious at the time they wouldn't replay the injury which is usually a pretty good sign that it's not a good one um just about, like what a sucky blow for him like actually getting some defensive snaps albeit one um <clears throat> had struggled to make an impact so far in his rookie season and that not only is the season done for him which sucks itself but man to have that happen thousands of miles away in another country that's gotta suck yeah i mean just the just the logistics of you know, he's got to have the surgery in London and then a couple of days in the hospital or whatever, and then they got to cart him back in a plane with a wrecked leg. Like, God, that that's rough for him. Yeah, not great there. Um, we saw a good battle with uh, Justin Jefferson, Marshawn Lattimore. Justin Jefferson, after two quiet games, he gets 10 catches for a buck 47. Also, the three-yard touchdown run. But we saw we saw the Minnesota offense a little bit more efficient with him and gets a nice little go ball behind Lattimore for 41 yards. Kirk Cousins, uh, interesting game for him. Three turnover-worthy plays, had a misread on an interception to Tyron Matthew, had a couple others that definitely could have been picked. But overall, I thought the Vikings did a good job hitting the underneath stuff. There was some open – you know, the Saints usually make life uh, pretty difficult, I think, for opposing quarterbacks. But the Vikings – they schemed it up pretty well, and they were just – there was a lot of underneath stuff open. And, again, you know, you throw the 41-yarder on top of that, too. That was one of the the big plays in there for the Vikings. Yeah, Lattimore is an interesting corner because he likes turning games into a physical one-on-one confrontation. And when he, you know, when he goes up against Mike Evans, that's good for him because he 
pisses off Mike Evans. He makes it into basically a fight, and he'll win that fight if that's the kind of matchup it is, usually. Justin Jefferson, I think, is a very different type of receiver to Mike Evans, and when you make Justin Jefferson mad, he's going to beat you in different ways and ways that you're not that good at, necessarily. So you could see very early in this game that there was there was uh, tension, I guess, between Lattimore and Justin Jefferson, and then by the end of it, it's like, uh, this isn't going that well for, for Lattimore. Jefferson's, <laughs> Jefferson's doing things to him that Mike Evans can't do. Uh, and it's not necessarily working in your advantage. The Vikings offense, so the couple of things that struck me about this game. One, there were a ton of plays where the, the Minnesota receivers were just letting down Kirk Cousins. Like drops, fingertip plays that are just out of reach. Like so many missed um, drive extending plays by this Vikings offense. The other thing is that this offense... It's a completely different world when the offensive line is functioning versus when it's not. Like the first drive, Minnesota looked very good, calm, nothing in, uh, out of nothing rush, nothing out of uh, control, and then they started to get pressure. And it's a completely different offense when they get pressure. It's like that Rams system for the last few years in Los Angeles. When the offensive line's good and it's given them a platform to work from, it's great. It looks really imposing. It's very difficult to slow down or stop. And then as soon as the offensive line starts to creak, the whole thing starts to look like a different team. The Vikings look like that right now. And with an offensive line like theirs, that's sort of on a knife edge the entire time. Um, And this was a Saints team that wasn't rushing the passer all that well through a few weeks. They they weren't great yesterday, New Orleans, but they did get to Cousins a few times and and did create some pressure. Yeah, and you can just see it. It just doesn't look the same when they're vulnerable to that kind of pressure. And a ton of those, like the Eagles game a couple weeks ago, it wasn't necessarily the Cousins played bad or that the receivers weren't getting open. It was that the, the pass rush was just getting home. This one wasn't as bad as that, but you saw signs of the same thing. A uh, couple of controversial calls at the end as well. Pass interference down the field on Adam Thielen. That was one of those passes. You know, if Thielen doesn't get his route cut off, maybe it's a jump ball for him, but that was potentially an interception late in the uh in the fourth quarter went in in so the vikings had or cousins and the vikings had a game tying and a game winning drive this was on the game tying drive where it could have been a game uh, a drive ender with an interception instead we've got a pass interference penalty down the field yeah so this was a they effectively took the lead off the back of two penalties so they're down 22 19 there's 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. They go on this monster drive that chews up, you know, the majority of the fourth quarter. Um, but it on almost so, and there's three penalties on that drive, all defensive. The first one, I think, was fine. Uh, it was a defensive holding call. I don't remember that, so I'm going to assume it was okay. Uh, the second two, however, I believe were bullshit. Um, and they both extended the drive and actually were the difference between crapping out, going nowhere, and, you know, winning the game. So we've, we've lost four minutes off the clock already. We've gone from nine and a half minutes left to five and a half minutes left. It's third and ten from the Vikings' 49-yard line. So they spent four minutes of clock getting to midfield. Uh, it's, it's third down, third and ten, incomplete pass, penalty, illegal use of hands. And you show the replay... It's like, I don't, I don't really see that. I, I don't see the hands illegal anywhere by uh, Tyron Matthew. 
So anyway, that extends the drive. Now we're first and 10 from the New Orleans 46. Uh, we go three and out effectively again. Incomplete pass again. And this one is the long defensive pass interference. Yeah, defensive pass interference. Cousins heaving it up into double coverage. There's a whole bunch of contact that's going both ways. You know, Adam Thielen grabs hold of a guy's face mask to try and wrench him out of the way and prevent the interception. And somehow that's defensive pass interference. They had, I think it was Mike Pereira that was the, you know, the rules official for this game. And he was like, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's a no call. Like it's not, it can't be one or the other. It's either nothing or it's, they've both committed a penalty. So I like a no call here. But anyway, two penalties, keep that drive alive. Now Minnesota's set up first and goal from the three. And that's the Justin Jefferson touchdown. And we take the lead off the back of that. So the Vikings, they move to three and one. Saints fall to one and three. Uh, Andy Dalton was in because of Jameis Winston being hurt. They were also missing Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry. That opened the door for rookie Chris Olave to, to lead the team with 67 rushing yard, uh, receiving yards, had the touchdown as well in there. And was like, had a Cameron Dantzler saved a big play to Chris Olave late in the game, like two minutes ago, that would have set the Saints back up in, in really good field position. Um, Saints are a tough one to figure out because, like I said, there have been there have been times when that offense has looked really good, and you're like, man, when it, when Alave, Michael Thomas, and Jarvis Landry are out there, push Marquez Callaway to that fourth option, it's like, all right, this is this is a, potentially a really good group. But Jameis Winston's been very inconsistent. Dalton kept battling back; he kept fighting back. But you know, the offense was inconsistent yesterday as well, but probably a tick better than they've been under Jameis. But uh, Saints sitting here at one and three usually have a tough they're just a tough team to to peg right now because that defense can be hit or miss and the offense has just been incredibly inconsistent through four games yeah I mean I thought Lave looked very good again like that entire rookie receiving receiving group particularly the first rounders they all look good um and I thought Cameron Dantzler in addition to that one big play to, to break up uh for Olave late in the game Dantzler had a fantastic game. Like, he had, I think, three pass breakups over the course of the game. One was that one to Dantzler. One was uh, kind of dig route to Marquez Callaway. I forget what the third one was, but he was all over the place and showed the kind of coverage skills that he has. All right, we'll get into the next game. But first, one of our newest sponsors, our friends at Viore. Yeah. Viore. There's a, there's a special way to pronounce it. Is that your Viore shirt? It is. It's one of them. I got, I got two, and this is one of the two. It looks comfortable. It, it is. looks great. Very comfortable. Right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Viore, incredibly versatile, comfortable. Tell us about your uh, experience getting your shirt. My, stuff, my stuff's on the way. On the way. Well, it was very easy. Um, they, they set us up, and, and away we went. I was looking. So, I was, they've got a lot of sort of shorts and all those kinds of things, which is what I've been wearing for the last, like, several months. But right at the time that's getting cold as hell. I'm like, hmm, probably shouldn't go with shorts. Let's see what they have in the, uh, the long sleeve world. So I got, the, uh, I got the hoodie that I was wearing the other day, the kind of waffle knit type of deal. Yeah. And then this thing. So I now have a couple of long sleeve things to wear at the, uh, the early morning freezing temperature part of the year. Yeah, so, that, so you can add to the long sleeve collection. You can add yeah. you know, to your polo collection, you know, shorts, whatever it is. Perfect for any workout or activity. It's comfortable, it's lightweight, easy to buy. Viore's an investment in your happiness, Sam. For our listeners, we're offering 20% off your first purchase. That's right, get 20% off. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash show code. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash P-F-F. 
slash show code. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that out. That's what they told me. I did it. I went full Anchorman. <laughs> show code. Slash show code. The show code is actually PFF. Yeah. Who wrote this copy? That's beautiful. Can we get the guy that wrote this copy, please? What's the link again? It's being edited right now on my uh -huh. Google Doc. Yeah. It's not, it's slash PFF. Idiot, Steve. Idiot. <laughs> Somebody clip that, put it on social media ASAP. This is how you go viral for Viori. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash PFF. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, yeah. but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 plus free returns. Go to Viori.com slash PFF and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Saved it. Oh, yeah. All right, big time. Nobody knows. Show code. Uh -huh. Oh, my God, show code. That's that interesting. I wouldn't use show code. I would have used PFF. Mm. Fire them. Nailed it. <laughs> How about them Bills? 23-20 to 20 over the Baltimore Ravens. The biggest comeback of Josh Allen's career. They had been owing a million the last time. Uh, you know, the last time they came back from a 17-point deficit. Yeah. Was Fitz, Ma Fitz Magic. Yeah. 2011 against the New England Patriots. Against the Patriots. The Patriots never blow leads like that. Oh. Back in, you know, the, the heart of the Brady-Belichick era. So that was the last time you saw well, that incredible the, comeback. This was the game that Fitzmagic was talking about the other day, that Brady Brady snubbed him at the end. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, they he can't, comes, executes the comeback, um, goes to the midfield handshake, and Brady, I think, either just left or, you know, gave him a quick, like, you know, did the Thomas Tuchel thing or the Antonio Conte thing of, like, gone. And he was like... Fitzmagic felt a little bit disrespected by that. He's like, you know, you guys always win. You've won however many straight. You've got all the Super Bowls. I get one here. And you're just like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm gone. I yeah. think that was the game he was talking about. Anyway. That, that probably was. Yeah. It probably was. Um, so 23-20, the, uh, the Ravens get up 20-3. It was the second week where the Bills were in this, this battle back and forth. Last week was against the Miami Dolphins. They ended up... Uh, losing that game but in this one it just felt like two really good AFC teams just going back and forth um, the controversial play in this one now it's 20 to 20 the Ravens are going in uh, it's fourth and two I believe right from the goal line fourth and goal from the two and the Ravens go for it there's about four minutes left in the game and the Ravens instead of kicking the go-ahead field goal Decide to go for it. Mm -hmm. And Lamar Jackson scrambles out. Now, when you're watching the play live, it's like, okay, it's fourth down. Lamar's got to throw it up. You know, if, if nothing's open, Lamar has to throw it up. If you do see the wide angle, though, Lamar missed the go-ahead touchdown. I mean, he missed it. The same receiver that he threw to was open right off the bat. There wasn't really pressure in the middle of the pocket until Lamar scrambled backwards a little bit so he chucks it up intercepted in the end zone by jordan poyer great and, interception by the way yeah it was an excellent play and you know john harbaugh was asked about the play after and look here's the thing that i love about john harbaugh he's going to at least explain himself analytically he's going to explain why last year the ravens lost two games on uh, go ahead two-point conversion attempts rather than taking the you know the, the extra point in this particular game he was just explaining, you know, 
if we don't get it, we you know the the Bills have to go ninety eight yards presumably. Now the interception changes that obviously puts them at the twenty, but you know that was part of the reasoning right was was basically saying in in today's NFL being up three, you know that's 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 not a a huge lead and and you're against a bill's offense you're probably going to give up three like you're likely to give up that three so we're going for the touchdown right we're going for and then if we don't get it they're going to get the long field that gets skewed a little bit by the interception what were your thoughts on that and just the end of the game here with the ravens well the great thing about yesterday is that everybody was wrong the fourth down decisions whether you kick whether you go for the the touchdown everybody either side screwed it up yesterday as in the results were bad, whatever you did. There was this scenario where the Ravens go for the touchdown. They don't get it. I forget who else it was, but somebody else went for the opposite. They went for the field goal, and they missed the field goal. Like it, No matter what you did, you got it wrong yesterday. If you're only interested in outcomes, which is you know a chunk of people still are, well, it was the right call because you made it, or it was the wrong call because you missed it. Um, so I, that was fun. <laughs> Just no matter what you did, you got it wrong yesterday. Um, yeah, to me, like... The, the bad part of that play was missing the wide open guy for the touchdown, you know, like the right. decision to go for it or not, fine. Um, missing the open touchdown was bad. The play by Poyer was spectacular. He came from a mile away to get in front and make that play. Like that was open as well for a decent period of time. And that was Poyer, the pass that, would, that should have been a touchdown. And then Poyer got in front of it, broke it up. Also, it was another one of those plays where – he got in front to, to pick it off and then took a hit immediately, like a big yeah. contact on that play. To hold on to that ball through that contact for Poyer was pretty spectacular. That was 18 yards of field position. That did matter. Right? Yeah, I mean that... and it was just a great play generally. Right. Um, so that was really impressive. The other thing about this game, it was, it was one of a number of games yesterday that were weather games, yes. rain. So there was a lot of rain. It was a very wet game. The Bills were coughing up the ball early in the rain, got themselves in that big hole um, from which they were able to climb their way out. And this is another game. Okay, they didn't win one of these, but I've been impressed by the last couple of weeks by Buffalo despite being very close and or losing a game. You know, they dropped the game in Miami. They end up executing this comeback. But Miami and Baltimore are two very good teams in the AFC so far. And Buffalo have, despite a lot of injuries and a lot of stuff going against them, at the very minimum, been right in both those games and actually secured a win in this one. Yeah, finding ways to win. So this was this was one where they didn't necessarily completely rely on on Josh Allen to make all the plays as well, right? You've got, um, you know, Devin Singletary has a big 16-yard reception to help set up the Bills. So like when when Lamar Lamar throws that interception and then the Ravens never see the ball again. Right, so the, the the bills go down for about four plus minutes. They drive down. There's a roughing the passer in there. There's a great throw to um, Dawson Knox in there, and then second and eleven. There's Josh Allen's Devin Singletary. There's a point where the Ravens tried to let the Bills score as well. Well, most of the Ravens did. Most of them. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, but no. Uh, was it Singletary that just went down? No. So he got he got tackled. I think it was a Dafaiowe. Three or four Ravens parted and let him through. And then oh, Owe yeah. snagged him from the side and took him down. It looked and like he, Singletary was knew better, though. Maybe. He might have been going down anyway, but they did, like, definitely on replay, he's getting tackled. I don't know if he would have stopped himself anyway. but And after the play, 
two or three Ravens are like, dude, we were letting him through. You know, don't. Yeah. You know, there was a little conference after that play where they were like, uh, no, we were letting him score. So that was with a minute 50 left. And then, and then Josh Allen with a smart move, right? So it's a minute 50 left. Singletary runs for eight. So now it's second and two from the Baltimore three. And what Josh Allen then did was kind of a, he did a QB sneak where the Ravens were also trying to let him score. And Allen just goes down at the one essentially saying yeah i'm not doing that i'm not going to score a touchdown because that would have been a touchdown with about a buck 40 left or so that was the ravens only hope at that point they were out of timeouts so then the the bills just kneeled it out and um and kicked the game-winning field goal to win 23 to 20. the ravens are one of a couple of teams that are down to at least their fourth string left tackle at this crazy daniel falele the monstrous 380 pound tackle rookie tackle um started at left tackle for them and got a lot of help justifiably so because the idea of daniel falele one-on-one against von miller is like the stuff of nightmares from a pass protection standpoint he gave up a few pressures but generally was okay given the assignment i think that's reasonable that's a decent outcome for them um but it's got I, what the hell has happened to left tackles in in the NFL this year? On the last show, I was trying to write down all the teams that had left tackle issues. It ended up at about ten teams, but the problem is all of those teams are many of them are it's not third just string. one tackle. Yeah, yeah, like, their third string are worse. It's Baltimore not that, is literally down to number four. Yeah. They've lost. You know, the Jets are up to number five. Five, but, if you count Becton as a left tackle, which he has I mean, been. He was. Point. I mean, he was their projected left tackle. Yeah, but I think by the time the season rolled around, he would have been the right tackle. Anyway, the, oh, true, right, right, yeah, you're right. Point being, they're down to at least four, yeah, five if you want to count him. Um, it's insane the the concentration of injuries at left tackle. So Valele did okay, given the again, given the assignment there. Do you want to briefly mention that freaky miracle play that Lamar Jackson had? Yeah, give so, a little. We're not going to do the explain the grade about Lamar Jackson this week, but like explain what that play is for us. Oh man! I mean, that was insane. A I mean, so you had you had Von Miller and it was Rousseau, right? Gregory Gregory Rousseau. Yeah, I think so. Lamar Jackson, especially on like broadcast, you're watching the broadcast and it just looks like Lamar Jackson gets engulfed by yeah. two Bills, and you're just you know it's one of those you you just your brain just says oh the play's over and you're expecting him to be down before you know what he spins out. I, it was so ridiculous that it, you know looking like he was going to be tackled that I also thought that he was just down. And then still just spun out for whatever reason, but no, he wasn't down. He he slipped the he slipped out of the the two sacks essentially. He then he rolls out and throws a prayer mm. right to a Bills defender. Where um, again, I forget who the receivers were. Mark Andrews was the intended target. So Mark Andrews climbs over the back of a Bills defender. Does an amazing just to job. Break up the interception. Well, so no, he's actually going. He's, he does a really good job of trying to make a catch. He goes over the top of him, literally can't, like gets his hands to it and lifts it over him. But in the course of doing that, it pops up, and he can't quite secure the catch himself. And then it drops right into the hands. Was it Devin Duvernay? I think it was Duvernay. Um, drops right into Duvernay's hands for a, for a catch. So high EPA yes. on the play. Um, I think, you know, good job by Lamar breaking out of a sure sack. Yep. That wasn't his fault, right? That was just bad blocking that – he should have been sacked. Bad job by throwing it to the defense. Yeah, overall, it was a but little it ends bit up as, a com- as a completion. It reminded me a little bit of the helmet catch, you know, where he's dead to rights. He's done. He yeah. somehow gets out of it, 
heave something downfield, it's not quite as like the helmet catch was a genuine prayer into coverage that ended up actually being a really good pass. This one was right to a defender, relying on Mark Andrews mossing the guy. He almost gets it done and then does just enough that it pops up right into Devon Duvernay's uh, fingertips. So it's probably going to go down. What is, did you, do you know what the grade is? For I that think it'll end up becoming a turnover-worthy play. Okay. Because, I mean, the bottom line is he did throw it to the defense. You know, that's, that's, a, pa- that's a pass that gets picked yeah, most more time. often than not, yeah. right? So um, anyway, 23-20 for the Bills. I, you know, I said this about the Bills at times last year. Not that they didn't rely. Like Josh Allen played way better than the stat line showed as well. You know, this was this was the opposite. Now, not that the stat line was great last week, but he threw for 400 yards last week. But he had all these turnover-worthy plays and all this stuff. They were kind of hidden. Allen ends up under six yards per attempt again, only 213 yards. He did. He was an animal once again as on the ground. 11 carries for 70 yards, and he's also just such a cheat code in third and short, third and fourth and short. Yeah, like there's a play where they had him rolling out, they took it away, like the sort of one option that you get left with there, and he just went all right, just picked it up. Like anyway, just busted his way through a tackle. You know, made a guy miss in the open field. It's so hard to stop him on third and fourth and short because he's he's got the complete skill set in terms of everything he can hurt you with on a given play it's so hard to defend everything um and you also had uh we we have five drops at the moment right now so like yeah. alan you talked about the weather game and everything he did really? make a lot he had a lot of passes that should have moved the chains that did get dropped yeah and some of that so this is where having an absolute laser beam for an arm can work against you this was a glimpse of what football was like back before they invented sticky SeaTac gloves <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean the rain essentially invalidates those things. I don't understand quite why, but technology hasn't cracked something that'll function in wet weather yet in terms of sticky gloves. So the advantage that those give people every other day of the week disappears. So what you're seeing is this is what football in the 1950s looked like in terms of people's ability to catch a football and keep hold of a football with a, you know fumbles and all those kinds of things. Um, and I have to say, it's not as good. You know, You can complain all you want about whether it's an artificial advantage or not but it's better when people can keep hold of the football generally has anybody developed any wet weather gloves need some wet weather many have developed them but they all suck yeah this is like so i a while ago i think nike had these gloves that looked like a kind of tire tread pattern just it seemed like it should work you know the way the same logic as tires in your car the water goes into the grooves and doesn't it didn't work they they sucked um the SeaTac things just don't work as well in the wet there's I i don't know the for some reason, we haven't quite mastered that kind of technology yet. But uh, the, like wet weather games are a glimpse back into the past in terms of ball security. Bills move to three and one. Ravens fall to two and two. Everybody in the league is three and one or two and two. Except the Eagles. Except the Eagles. Undefeated. Uh, Dallas Cowboys 25, Washington Commanders 10. This was the, the Ginger Bowl. Um, as we said... Andy Dalton stole the ginger grade, yeah. and uh, Cooper Rush gets the ginger win. The ginger win. Yes. Um, Carson Wentz gets nothing. No. Another game where the commander's offense just does not look good. And uh, Trayvon Diggs balling out for the Cowboys. Has that interception just before the half. A couple other pass breakups. You know, looking athletic at the catch point, making a ton of plays. And... Um, Maybe my prediction about Trayvon Diggs having a better grade with fewer interceptions is is moving in the right direction after this one. Yeah, although if he has this game every week, 
they'll have more interceptions. They'll have more interceptions. Um, the Cal- and uh, overall, the Commanders they did slow Micah Parsons at least. Yeah, from uh, from generating pressure, and uh, Carson Wentz only sacked twice in this one, but still not enough four yards per attempt for Wentz in this passing attack here. Yeah, Diggs was thrown at five times, and he caught one of those. He broke up two of them and allowed one catch for six yards. Like, this was yeah. as good a game as he you're going to find from Trayvon Diggs. Um, and for some reason, so one of, the, one of the passes that was thrown his way made sense to throw. You know what I mean? He kind of lost out at the, the release and in the route. He had a lot of ground to make up, and he made up the ground. But the target made sense. The interception made no sense to attempt ever. He's in off coverage on a like a go route on a fade, and they just heave it up, and he ends up being in a better position than um, Jahan Dotson to make a play on the ball in the first place. But like almost immediately, he's the intended receiver for that pass. And Diggs has got size, he's got length, and he's got ball skills. Why would you give him that opportunity ever? Like that's just a terrible decision to to put the ball in the air. Um, there was another one as well where it didn't make a ton of sense to target him that's by the by that's a Carson Wentz problem but yeah this was as good a game as you're going to see from Trayvon Diggs and the kind of game that he is capable of like nobody has ever doubted his capacity to have a game like this Um, it's just that we didn't see them every week if you're asking about Cooper Rush and why you know the stat line does look great for him Uh, eight over eight yards per attempt two touchdowns no picks he had two negated interceptions in there as well they weren't negated necessarily because of the penalty right so or they weren't interceptions because of the penalty they were bad decisions and yeah you know, ones that he got away with the penalty ended up was independent in, of the bad play from the quarterback there you go perfect um, another big you know 45 yarder to noah brown on the deep post rush did make some big throws and this makes the cowboys intriguing man it's not like their offense was incredible or anything like that but you do have cd lamb the last couple weeks creating some big plays Noah Brown, as we've said, has broken out a little bit. Michael Gallup makes his return, finds the end zone. Not that they've replaced Amari Cooper, but if Noah Brown ends, ends up becoming the guy that we were we were saying, right? They need they need that third option. Um, this could be a little better for Dallas once once Dak gets back. I know Cooper Rush is undefeated and all that, but Dallas tough defense and offense maybe uh, finding their way here in recent weeks. Yeah, they couldn't get has, the run game going at all, though. I mean, look, the big thing for Dallas has been, can we get through the period of no Dak Prescott and still be, in, still be alive? Yes, you know? they're 3-1. and one. Right. Yeah. So that's the th- like, we thought they'd be dead and buried, particularly with the Eagles being the only undefeated team in the NFL. If you had said that when Dak Prescott went down, hey, the Eagles aren't going to lose while you have Dak Prescott out. And, you know, you have these games with Cooper Rush, a quarterback. Dallas fans, would be, I mean, we were thinking... I mean, they're done like their season's already gone forget it game over that's not the case at the very minimum they are going to be in contention for a wild card spot at the point Dak Prescott comes back and they're not going to be out of sight the Eagles they're still going to be alive within the division for Dallas that is a huge win now you've still got to navigate Prescott getting back is he coming back too early are you going to see a game like Russell Wilson when he first came back from a, a hand injury last year where he just looked awful there's still all that to get through. But so far, Cooper Rush has dramatically exceeded expectations in terms of being able to steer this ship and not run it into an iceberg. I, I might say this a bunch throughout the next couple weeks. I feel like the NFL has done a great job 
of having the good teams, like some elite matchups early on and some matchups of the teams with perceived, yeah, you know, perceived bottom 10 rosters, we'll say, right? Like your Seahawks-Falcons matchups and we'll talk about Seahawks-Lions here in a minute. I think because of that, you have a bunch of teams at two and two, right? You have a whole bunch of teams at two and two. And even if you're one and three, there's a lot of one and three teams as well, but there's only one undefeated team. Um, so it, it does feel like early in the season, they did a good job of saying, well, the, the good teams are going to knock each other off and beat each other up a little bit. The bad teams are going to, somebody's got to win those games and everybody's going to feel pretty good. Like, everybody's going to be feel like a contender halfway through the season. I think the NFL has scheduled that extremely well. I think that also makes it difficult on our end to like to sort through priors, to sort through, you know, what did we think about these teams versus the win-loss column and, and what they're doing right now. So we'll talk more about that as we go here. But um, anything else on this game? Uh, Commanders, they're one of the one and three teams, and, after, and they've lost three straight now after they beat the Jaguars in week one. And the last couple of weeks, they're just not creating the same big plays down the field at all that we that we saw in week one yeah i mean so the carson wentz thing okay last week they were under a ton of pressure he just didn't have a platform to function this week he had a better platform and still didn't get anything done um the idea of let's lean into the variance let's let's go on the the wentz roller coaster ride okay fine but but where's the uh, like where's the high you know like he averaged yeah. 3.9 yards per pass attempt in this game there was one big time throw that's not going to cut it like you need more from Carson Wentz in a game like this and it wasn't there now to his in his defense all the ginger theory all the ginger talent was gone like what, what was he supposed to do yeah I mean he could have salvaged he could have salvaged the win at least but uh Cooper Rush Cooper yeah. Rush had it on on the other side now I guess you can make the argument that it's on him to steal the ginger talent but he didn't wasn't able to do it so he lost no House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every single day. You can also test your skills versus the house in 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player prop over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. I do, I do love this idea. No house advantage. You can sign up now with the promo code PFFNFL. PFFNFL. That's a pretty, pretty good promo code, right? Yeah. There. Well, it's better than uh, you know slash. That's our show code. Uh, show code. PFFNFL at nohouseadvantage.com. So go to nohouseadvantage.com, or you could download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to twenty-five dollars. Make sure to check out. No house advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. Check it out. No house advantage. Not like us when we take our bets. Complete house advantage from us when we took uh, listener bets. All right, Seattle 48, Detroit Lions 45. Get one of one of my uh, examples here. Seattle moves to two and two. Um, they had been an interesting offense to this point. They had not put up a ton of points, and then they just dominate here. Um, almost unstoppable, Seattle's offense. Detroit puts, continues to put up a ridiculous amount of points, 45. But the defense, man, they're just falling apart. They're just falling apart in Detroit. But uh, Jared Goff and Geno Smith went head-to-head in this one. And uh, you know, Goff threw a pick six in there to Tariq Woolen. 
But other than that, he played really well. But Geno was the story, man. Probably best quarterback this entire week. Yeah, again, uh, Geno looking really good. Yeah, NFL Research had a tweet that the Lions have averaged 35 points per game and allowed 35-point-something points per game this season. The 281 combined points scored and points allowed are the most by any team in the first four games of a season in NFL history. Effectively, the Lions are objectively the most exciting team through four weeks that the league has ever seen. Yeah, as objectively. measured by That's simple it. points on the board. It's pretty clear. They do just they don't go away. You can you can have the game won, the score astronomical. They've given up a ton of yards and points, and they're still going to keep coming. This is what happened with the Eagles. Remember, right at the start. The Eagles were long out of sight. They had that game dead and buried, and the Lions just kept hammering away, just kept coming back. The Dan Campbells, the fighting Dan Campbells with the kneecap biting. They're going to keep chewing. And they also let the Vikings in. Yeah. Um, uh, Last week. And they did this this week, missing some players. Like They they just keep on going. They are an interesting team to keep an eye on because the game is never done. Um, we did have a listener ask us to revisit the Jared Goff question. Um, I think he, uh, I forget who it was, but um, he he was asking us yesterday, should we revisit our preseason question about Jared Goff and the Lions? I think he was essentially pushing like, hey, Jared Goff's a good long-term answer if the offense is a little bit better, if the, I mean, if the, the supporting cast is better, if the play calling is better, which it has been. I mean, it's been incredible in Detroit. They're creating a lot of offense. I still don't know that that's like, hey, Jared Goff's the guy that you want to build around? Because even though the offense is cooking right now, is it because of Jared Goff? I mean, he does. He, has a, he was very good yesterday, again, outside of that one really, well, a couple bad throws. But is it because of Jared Goff, or is it because the Lions are doing such a good job scheming playmakers into open space? So, you know, TJ Hawkinson goes off yesterday. The development of uh, Monra St. Brown. You have Jamal Williams all of a sudden, you know, statistically looking like one of the best running backs in the NFL. This is a full team effort in Detroit. Jared Goff is at the helm. He's playing all right, but actually makes you more. To me, it makes you more intrigued for looking at yeah. When you if you upgrade Goff, what then? What can you do? Not that you're going to score forty points a game, but you know they're they're humming right now offensively in Detroit. Yeah, just the defense is an issue. I don't think anything we've seen over the first few weeks should suggest that Jared Goff has a different long term future to the one we expected, which is. Like, he's not a completely incapable quarterback. We already knew that. You know, if you surround him with a good system, we saw that with the Rams, he can be a borderline top 10 kind of quarterback at the absolute apex. Um, and he can, and that's good enough to get a guy, to get a team to the Super Bowl. Maybe not good enough to win it, but whatever. He can, we already knew that about Jared Goff. That's on new information. You know what I mean? Like, if the environment is great, if the players around him are good, if the scheme is fantastic, Jared Goff can function as a top 12 type of quarterback and take a team or be on a team that goes to a Super Bowl. The question is, what happens if things are slightly worse than that or can he be the guy that takes a team to the Super Bowl rather than acting as a passenger? And I think that is still to be determined. Like if the the Lions offense is putting up a ton of points, they're doing well, but Jared Goff is not exactly the the driving force behind all this. So uh, Aaron Glenn, defensive coordinator for the Lions, under heat now. You know, there was a point where he was looking like one of the best young defensive coordinators. Now the defense falling apart on that side. You have Jeffrey Akuda, former first-round cornerback, giving up 124 yards on five catches yesterday, and he's in the middle of his best season yeah. right now. Akuda, 
the and you just have Geno Smith, man, once again balling out. So Geno Smith, the way I had described him as grading well these last few weeks, it was essentially mistake-free football. Uh, not mistake-free, but he he did have a bunch of turnover-worthy plays, but he's not missing a ton of throws. So last week against Atlanta, Geno put the ball in harm's way a few times. But he's on pace right now, or he's got like the best completion percentage in history through four games. <laughs> it, it, it was this short passing attack where he just kept, you know, pretty much not missing, right? Other than a couple of misreads of coverage. This game, though, he's throwing the ball down the field, driving the ball down the field. DK Metcalf goes off once again and then has to go to the locker room. Carted to the locker room. Carted to well, take a dump. Apparently it's a long ride. I, yeah, sure. It's a long ride. Well, if I fantasy mean, fantasy owner is like, oh no, losing DK. It's like no. I mean, he it's got to be goes, better. Had, he said something like, "I had a bellyache." Yeah. He also tweeted after that the I forget what his term was, but like the the pinch walk wasn't going to work. Yeah, yeah. This was, so it's better to do it that way than the Lamar thing of having to waddle your way to the locker room quickly. Yeah. You know that. that just is that when I told my story? I told the uh, the food poisoning story last year. I don't. I, don't I mean, remember. that's. I mean, it's ugly when you've got to go from one side of the field. To the other, to the we call it a clubhouse or to the locker room. Yeah, you know when you have to do that, it's uh, it's not good. Oh yeah, I mean, so in, take in, a cart at any level. There's typically quite a long way between the place you're playing and the nearest area to relieve oneself of a an acute dump. You know. Mm. Yeah, and it's got to be better to get from one from A to B on a cart than it is to try and waddle your way there needing the dump. Well, the Seahawks dumped on the Lions' defense here. Wow. You, that you can manage, but you can't manage, you know, forward slash show code. Nope. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Well, well done. DK had 149 yards on seven catches. Had a 54-yarder in there. T, uh, Tyler Lockett had 91 yards as well. Uh, I don't know what to make of Seattle still, except those two guys can still play. Yeah. Geno, again, to Geno Smith – was throwing the ball down the field and still completing a high level of his passes, right? This offense looked good. Yes. So Geno played out of his mind. The two receivers are good. Rashad Penny is still looking like last year's Rashad Penny, giving Seattle actually quite a collection of offensive playmakers and an offense that looks more capable. Like the system looks more defined and sensible than it did when Russell Wilson was the quarterback. Now, look, Russell Wilson had his best game as a Denver Bronco yesterday. So, you know, at the point where this was happening, the Broncos hadn't kicked off yet. And you're like, okay, at the very minimum, it doesn't look good that all of a sudden the Shane Waldron offense looks great with Geno at the helm and the Denver offense looks lost with Russell Wilson at the helm. Like, whatever 2 plus 2 conclusion you want to make, it, it at least looks bad. As things currently stand. Now, then Russell Wilson went out and had his best game. So, you know, it sort of tempered that a little bit. But, I mean, it does seem that this off, that Gino at the very minimum looks to be quite a good fit for this system and is helping the system do its job, you know, of functioning as an NFL offense. Yeah. So you mentioned Rashad Penny, two long runs in there, a couple touchdowns, 17 carries for 151. That's 8.9 yards per carry. Over the last two seasons now, Rashad Penny is averaging six yards per carry. That's like college stuff. Yeah. Six yards per carry. Rashad Penny finally breaking out into the player that you thought he would be coming out of the draft in 2018. I mean, yeah. So this is where I don't know what to do with this stuff. 
The Seahawks are two and two. They've played, they played Denver, 49ers, you know, two teams that were supposed to be pretty good. Played the Falcons and played the Lions the last the last two weeks. The Falcons and the Lions, the expectations were a little bit lower again. So I'm so they're two and two. The Lions are one and three. A little disappointing start for them because they've been in all of these games. But the Seahawks are sitting here at two and two, getting pretty good quarterback play. Again, very good quarterback play. Explosive playmakers with with DK, Lockett, and Rashad Penny. I still don't really trust Seattle's defense. Now Tariq Woolen had the who's a fifth round corner. He was like the Trayvon Walker equivalent at cornerback at the combine. The one of the most incredible cornerback workouts we've ever seen. I thought Woolen's workout was going to put him in the second round. And mm-hmm. the Seahawks get him in the fifth. He looks like I mean, I could see him developing two or three years down the line. He's not perfect, but man, he looks good. And you know, you see the closing speed that he had yeah. on the golf interception, takes it to the house. Seattle's defense is still a massive, massive work in progress. But this offense is going to keep them in games. Yeah, it is. I mean, I the offense is genuinely good. I mean, so think of the last few years, and it's been there, – there's a lot wrong with this Seattle team, but Russell Wilson and those playmakers are good enough to drag this team to the playoffs pretty much every year. And you're like, well, that's immediately gone the second Russell Wilson is out of the door. Now, if Geno keeps playing like this, it isn't. I mean, all of a sudden, that's exactly back on the table. Now, it's not just Geno, but the combination of Geno plus the offense, plus those receivers, plus Rashad Penny, that's enough. Like, okay, the defense might stink, but the offense playing like that means they are still, you know, they're still alive as a decent team. We have people in the chat saying the Seahawks picked up extra first-round picks, upgraded at quarterback. That's a steal. Yeah. I mean, that's... uh we're still in small sample t- size t- territory here, right? Yeah, I mean, look, that's, that's still that's like the people. We're we're four weeks into this thing, and what was what was occurring to me during the games is how quickly, in particular, the week the week three to week four jump is in terms of changing narratives of where teams are. You know, all like the Bengals are five hundred all of a sudden, as yeah. going from two weeks in, it's like I ah, see. I told you Cincinnati wasn't going to make the playoffs. The Jaguars were the upstart. Yeah, two you weeks know, later, lock to win the AFC South. Right. Two weeks later, it's like actually Cincinnati's five hundred. They play Baltimore next. If they win that, they're like back in charge of the division. You know, this is what I'm saying. It matters who you play. Of course. Like you're four weeks in, and if you've played two of the worst teams in the league, or if you've played two of the best teams in the league, I mean, it's going to change your record. The Giants are three and one, and you know. Nobody outside of like well television broadcast thinks they're good. Well, the powerhouse three and one Giants are facing the powerhouse three and one Packers next week. Cross the pond. That might give you a better indication of where the Giants are. I'm just saying, we're going to start. It's, it's going to be separation week next week. Anyway, but, so I was going to say like that's it's like the people saying that Jacoby Brissett is better than Deshaun Watson. It's like okay, let's tap the brakes now. You know, Jacoby's been fine. He's been good for a couple of games. He's been fine outside of that. Let's. It's settled down a little bit on where Jacoby actually is. So credit to the Seahawks, credit to Geno Smith, balling out, and um, just really, this is his best game. He was already playing well. I am, I am fascinated to see him keep it up. Greg Rosenthal, you know, he was, he's, a, he's been a Geno supporter through the, through the years. So Greg is, uh, you know, good for Greg. Greg gets a tremendous amount of airtime on this show. You, yeah. you give Greg a shout out every couple of weeks. I just, I like to give shout outs to our listeners. You know. <laughs> Our listeners deserve to to get shout outs. If we're going to do it for emails and stuff, you know, a dedicated listener like Greg Rosenthal from around the NFL, uh-huh. got to give him a shout out as well. Tennessee Titans 24, Indianapolis Colts 17. This one looked like a 
a beatdown early on. Titans were up 24 to 3. The Colts crept back into it, uh, but Tennessee Titans shut the door in the fourth quarter. Man, I don't know what to make of the Colts. Colts were coming off that big win against the Kansas City Chiefs, which, by the way, as we mentioned last week, I think was way more about the Chiefs losing it than the Colts winning it. Yeah. The Colts are dangerously close to being 0-3 and, uh, 0-3 and 1. Instead, they're 1-2 and 1. And the Titans <laughs> move up to 2 and 2, tied for the lead in the AFC South with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Also, now. I mean, you look at just how close the Colts are to being completely winless, blanked, 0 and 4. They're not far away from being, oh, yeah. from being the worst team in the NFL through four weeks. Um, and this was like, remember on the preview show, it's like, okay, both these teams have been disappointing through the first few weeks of the season, but I'm way more concerned about the Colts than I am the Titans. This game showed why. Like this, this to me played out exactly as it should have, which is Tennessee looked like a much more capable, dangerous team. And then, okay, the Colts made it close in the second half, but they were 14 up Tennessee at the at halftime no the Colts were the only team that scored in the second half and then it's seven points closer but like I the Colts might be in real trouble the most Tennessee Titans thing about this game last year we talked about Titans getting incredible performances from from everyone right I mean just like you never like Dane Cruikshank was like locking down Travis Kelsey in their win against the Chiefs last year in this particular game you have Joe Schobert, who has been a journeyman, you know, bouncing around teams here just in the last calendar year. Joe Schobert forces a Jonathan Taylor fumble in the fourth quarter um, as one of the huge plays here. And you have Denico Autry, who whoops Quentin Nelson for a strip sack early in the game. He comes back with the huge sack in the fourth quarter as well. And, you know, that is, isn't that just like the Vrabel Titans? You know, you look at the the name talent as much as they it'd be they'd be so much better if they had aj brown i'm just gonna say they would be that much better if they had aj brown but the titans have these games where they win where like the joe Schoberts of the world you know waiver wire pickups are making plays and you know i I, again i want to give credit to the titans and Vrabel and you know essentially the the middle to bottom end of their roster stepping up when they need them yeah like I think the Titans are still alive in terms of being a decent team this season. They, You're right. They would be better if A.J. Brown was in there. I still think they have a shot of patching it together and still having that kind of impact even without him. Derek Brown – or Derek Brown? Derek Henry showed that he can still be King Henry. You know, he had a, a good game relative to what he's been doing so far this season. Um, looked a lot more like his old self than we've seen for a while. He had – what 100 plus yards he had a ton of those yards came after contact um busted a few tackles along the way this looked a lot more like the derrick henry we've come to know and expect Traylon burks going down is definitely uh, a blow he was starting to become a bigger factor in that offense robert woods finally gets his touchdown um bad coverage bust by the colts on that he was one. open for like the entire play that was, that was, was just bad. a case of how I mean, long it took Tannehill to find him it know? looked like the colts the colts should have had two defenders between I mean, it looked like they were playing with nine guys on the field. I didn't check. Maybe they were. It was a bad coverage bust. Sorry. Carry on. No, that, that was my uh, the end. So that, that was the – Tannehill's second touchdown was a sweet little uh, sidearm. A little sidearm around traffic. <laughs> Tannehill doesn't usually pull out those uh, He's cool much more by-the-numbers type pass. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tannehill, he played well again. Again, the Titans, 
bouncing back, man. You said coming in. Who did we take? We both took. We both took Tennessee here. We both because they were. They were getting dogs. three and a half. They were yeah. underdogs there. They get up 24 to three. Looks this like they could the, blow it, but they cracked down at the end. This was the line last week that made the least sense to me. I could not, for the life of me, even given the location, fathom how, how, how the Colts are favored. Matt Ryan, I don't know what the final, the numbers are not finalized yet. It might be off by one or two as plays get reviewed here. Through four games, we have Matt Ryan with one big time throw in 10 turnover-worthy plays. Yeah. A few of which are sacks. I mean, uh, fumbles, right? It's not just passes into coverage. He's been not good. That is rough. I mean, the Colts the Colts thought they were getting, at worst, a better game manager than they had last year, right? We talked a lot about how they, yeah, they tried to make Carson Wentz into a game manager, and he did a decent job of taking care of the ball outside of the torrential, the, uh, what was that in San Francisco last year? Oh, the so, The snow squall storm finger yeah it had some ridiculous name i forget what it was called something like i I had a whatever yes i understand what you mean yes so the at worst the colts thought they were getting a better game manager at best at worst that they thought that at best they were like okay this is the best quarterback we've had i mean he'll at least give us a philip rivers 2020 season where yeah rivers had some bad games but he had some high-end games in there as well um, Ryan made some big plays last week against the Chiefs. He was fine, but man, he is any sort of pressure is is an adventure right now. For and they're Matt getting Ryan. pressure. Like that's the yes. big thing is that for years we've we've talked about the Colts as having one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, and it isn't anymore. Um, you know, Matt Pryor is clinging on at left tackle, trying to do what he can. They just don't have the personnel as, as as good as it used to be. Like you've still got good players there, but you know Quentin Nelson, presumably because of what's around him now, is not playing the way Quentin Nelson has played at the start of his um, NFL career. I mean, he was bomb. it was a bomb cyclone. Bomb cyclone. Thank you. Ben. I, I love when uh, Ben Stockwell, not just the greatest data collector in the history of PFF, maybe the world, live the greatest football checker. data collector, but a live fact checker. Yeah. Yeah. That could uh, remind us that it was the bomb cyclone that forced four turnover-worthy plays for Carson Wentz on Sunday Night Football last year. Right. Remember, early in Nelson's career, he wasn't just the best guard in the NFL, but like the most valuable offensive lineman, you know, despite playing guard where they're less valuable than tackle. Um, he's not playing like that anymore. And I don't know if that's trying to make up for people around him or what the story is, but Nelson is not playing like Nelson, and he's the best player on that offensive line. So they're giving up pressure. And Matt Ryan, when he gets pressure now, is effectively useless. Yeah. So things are just not good for the Colts. Matt Ryan's been an excellent quarterback throughout his career. If he was a bigger name, he's not a big name, right? He's just he's a very good quarterback. Former MVP, but a very good quarterback. If he was a bigger name, he'd be all over the uh, all over the talk shows. Has Matt Ryan lost it? Has he hit the cliff? But um, it's a fair question at this point. What else can Matt Ryan offer? Um, but hey, credit the Titans. Tannehill making uh, a few good throws. They're they're pulling it together at you know uh, at the playmaker position. At playmaker, they're still targeting Derrick Henry in the pass game a little bit more than they had in the past. And I just love that you've got the Autrys and the Schilberts of the world making plays down the stretch here for the uh, for the Titans. Derrick yeah. Henry looking better on the ground, by the way. Exactly. Um, and Rashad Weaver actually getting – he's slipped into that role of the kind of <laughs> – like you're out there all the time and you're going to get 
three to five pressures every game because you're out there rushing the passer 30 times you know that's he slipped exactly into that role he might not be a great player but the the one maybe the biggest thing that Harold Landry brought to the table was ever presence I am out there every single snap and because of that I'm going to get you 60 pressures in the season because I'm rushing the passer 800 times that's become Rashad Weaver so far he stepped into that role um and doing a pretty good job of it all right let's go to the New York Jets 24 the Pittsburgh Steelers 20 Jets move to two and two Steelers fall to one and three a lot of storylines in this one Zach Wilson makes his return yep Mitchell Trubisky gets he got hit at the end of the half but it was a coach's decision he He gets benched. benched Kenny Pickett comes in yeah and Kenny Pickett looked good sparks the team also so, finishes with three interceptions. Yeah. I don't think any of them on it were his fault. Right. So, hey, this might be the most excited Steelers fans are for a loss. Well, this is So, Kenny Pickett goes uh, 10 of 13 for 120 yards with the three incompletions all being picked off. Yeah. None They're of which caught. were really his fault, which yeah. is one of the weirdest stat lines you're ever going to see from a quarterback. A tip pass, a miscommunication, and a Hail Mary. Yeah, 9.2 yards per attempt. But a, what is a passer rating of like 60, 65? If you have a 65 passer rating with three picks on 13 attempts, that's pretty good. Yeah, particularly that's, that's, if you, that's tough to do. Particularly if you then go and determine that none of the three were his fault. Yes. It's a bizarre uh, debut for him. Um, when I, I came to the conclusion when I was watching Trubisky, um, this was actually his first year with the Bears, too. He actually threw the ball pretty well. Like this year, he wasn't terrible throwing the ball. They were just. He doesn't always go to the right guy. And he just doesn't offer enough. I don't think the offense is creating high-value throws either. Pickett did, did seem a little bit more willing to throw to the middle of the field. His most spectacular plays, I mean, by the way, Pickett converted two QB sneaks, which was like, first off, you didn't see Big Ben do that in 18 years, just convert QB sneaks. One of them was a touchdown. But if you're going to you know, sell yourself as the next Steelers quarterback, a second effort QB sneak for a touchdown is a pretty good start. It's a pretty good way to, uh, you know, appeal to the Pittsburgh fans. It also, by there, so I think, you know, the way um, there's a kind of perpetual campaign to be like, well, that interception should go on the receiver's stat sheet, not the quarterback's. I think we need to start giving QB sneaks to the running back that like oh, the drives push. him yeah. forward from behind. So one of those QB sneaks was a Najee Harris QB sneak. Like Pickett ran, ran into a brick wall, and then Najee Harris basically grabs hold of him. No, second him effort. Second effort. Yeah, yeah. Second effort once the 235-pound running back grabs hold of you and throws you through a gap. I'm just saying, in this one, Trubisky did – he had some bad throws in there, but he threw an absolute dime, big-time throw. He may have had the best throw of the week to Deontay Johnson in the back of the end zone, splitting the coverage, but oh, just out of bounds, didn't count. Can I take a victory lap, by the way, and oh, yeah, exactly take predicting the week that Kenny Pickett would get on the field? Yes. I said the week four was as long as Trubisky would get, exactly the same way as Mike Glennon. It was the same week. Week four, Mike Glennon, after signing his three-year, $45 million contract, and then them draft, drafting Trubisky like a month later, he, he made it four weeks, and then they benched him, and Trubisky came in for the, for the start for Chicago, and that was the changing of the guard. I was like, that's the same length of time Trubisky will get in Pittsburgh. That's exactly the way it panned out. And I look, I think Kenny Pickett might not be the answer to everything that ails Pittsburgh. You know, He's not going to fix everything by himself, but he does offer more than Trubisky. You can see more things are on the table when Kenny Pickett is playing and when he's throwing – 
Um, and you can ju- even just in the game yesterday, you can see it in some of the the target map and some of the, the kind of the breakdown and where the passes were in terms of short of the stakes, past the stakes, all those kinds of things. Pickett will make a difference to this offense. Now, the offense might still stink schematically, so I don't know, like, it's, it might not fix it, but they're going to be better with Pickett there, I think. Yeah, so that's what I want to see, right? You had, it. we made excuses for the offense last year because Big Ben was old, and yeah. he wasn't moving, you know, he was just throwing the ball underneath, getting rid of it quickly. I thought Trubisky, again, overall, wasn't really putting the ball in harm's way, was throwing the ball, actually throwing the ball better than he had in the past. And my conclusion was they're just, they're low value throws or they're low percentage throws, including like yesterday's to Deontay Johnson. It's kind of a low percentage pass, but he put it there, right? Like credit, Trubisky. But it wasn't translating to, you know, offense. It wasn't translating to points whatsoever. Let's see if Pickett opens up the more valuable throws in the offense. This, this will be a good test for him. Because, you know, George Pickens had his 100 yards yesterday. Pickens looked good. You have Pat, Pat Fryermuth. You did see Pickett throw to him over the middle, middle of the field. Fryermuth can work the seam extremely well. I'd be, I don't know. I'm more optimistic, I think, about the Steelers. I'm more optimistic about Kenny Pickett, the Steelers' offense. I mean, I had a, I had a feeling he was going to provide a spark when he came in. So much so, I really thought he was going to hit the Hail Mary <laughs> in, in, like, legend, you know, just... The legendary status in Pittsburgh for the rest of his life, no matter what happened. It didn't go that way, but it did have the – somebody had mentioned – I think on the broadcast they mentioned this feels like Baker Mayfield coming yeah. in as a rookie in week three, sparking the crowd. It didn't go that way, though, because Zach Wilson started playing well on the other side. I mean, Hail Marys are called Hail Marys for a reason, but if you're looking at the personnel the Steelers have to deploy on a Hail Mary, I mean, it, you have a better chance of bring, bringing one of those down than other teams, you know? Oh, yeah. You can put Chase Claypool sure. and George Pickens. These are guys capable of making spectacular, you know, high-point catches in the end zone with people all around them. Now, didn't happen, but I can understand why you would be more optimistic about a Kenny Pickett and Hail Mary into that group than you would, you know, for some random team that doesn't have any, like Green Bay right now. On the other side, you know, we mentioned this last week, I think, with the Jets or maybe two weeks ago. The defense. So last week, the defense just busting coverages and you know allowing the Bengals to you know a little too easy uh, for the for the Bengals offense last week against the Jets. This week, as they've shown at times this year, their 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 talent just started to step up, right? You know, with the Sauce Gardeners of the world, Jermaine Johnson had a pretty good game, the rookie first rounder. So the defense started to make some better plays down the stretch here, but then you have Zach Wilson making his debut. Rough first half, passing grade in the 30s. Second half, though, passing grade in the 80s. Looks like a completely different quarterback and leads the game-winning drive. Look at Zach Wilson. Yeah. Coming together in the second half. Zach Wilson. You don't seem sold. I. He was basically bad right up until the game-winning drive. And then he went, I think, six for six and executed the win. And it's all of a sudden, Pittsburgh have lost the game. Like, what the hell just happened? Maybe my expectations are too low, but I didn't think he was – my expectations are too low. He had four turnover-worthy plays in the game. He was pretty bad. Yeah. But look at him bouncing back. Yeah. Oh, he also, so he he had four turnover-worthy plays. He also had an interception that wasn't. He put the ball right in his receiver's hands, ends up popping right to Minka Fitzpatrick. The frequency with which the ball simply bounces to Minka Fitzpatrick continues to blow my mind. I don't understand. It's like, you know, there's... There's something to being at the right in the right place at the right time. That is a 
skill as a defender. You know, you can put yourself around the ball more than other players that don't see things. However, there are times where the guy is in front of you open making a catch and he simply, you know, like paddle hands the ball and it bounces over his head into your hands. You didn't really do anything on that play other than catch a bouncing football. I don't understand how that happens so often to, to Minka. Um, Did we he, say the same thing about Ed Reed? Minka's Ed Reed. No. No, we didn't say it. And no, he's not Ed Reed. He's more like uh, Jarius Bird, but like over an ex- over a bigger period of time. Remember when Jarius Bird Minka had didn't two... have that many interceptions last year, did he? No, but the ball finds him in a way that it was... I was asking the same questions about Jarius Bird for a while. Like, how does the ball keep ending up in his hands so regularly because it's not like Ed Reed where you can see there's a tape study thing going on he's actually baiting people and making these plays over and over and over again anyway Mika had another good game in addition to that play bouncing into his hands he the other one that he almost had uh, one of Zach Wilson's turn of worthy plays was a throwaway that he put on the sideline Mika almost had a sideline interception he's trying to toe tap it just barely yeah. falls out of bounds but yeah there's a he's a ball magnet Mika yeah, At the same time, there's some open throws over the middle of the field, which uh, could be his fault as well. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so anyway, my, my point at the start of this is Zach Wilson, I don't think, played particularly well and then had a good drive that won the game. And I would say on, you know, when, when the offense was, was looking good in the fourth quarter, I just think you, see a, you just see a better talent level for the Jets. You just see having... I think having Garrett Wilson out there and having Elijah Moore and having Corey Davis was their top receiver. It's just better, man. It's just better in New York. They've got more defensive talent. They've got more offensive talent. So even if Zach Wilson doesn't have a good first half, they have enough to be able to make the comeback there. It's way better than they were two years ago. I think that's encouraging if you're the Jets. What are they down at their their left tackle spot? They... Who came in? They, I know they had um, Connor McDermott. Wow, Max Mitchell. Yes, so was, Max Mitchell, the rookie, uh, fifth round pick. Am I making that up? I'm clicking it right now. Fourth, yeah, I thought fourth, it was fourth. round pick. So yeah, rookie fourth round pick. Who's a guy we liked, um, graded very well in college from Louisiana. Yep. Um, the concern was. You know, is he a little bit too lightweight? Like he's listed at under three hundred pounds, despite being six foot six. It's like, does he have the strength and the the kind of power to survive at this level? He'd actually been doing a good job for them at right tackle. He's playing right. He played right yesterday. Um, yeah. You know, and overperforming what we thought he was capable of, um, given those sort of size limitations and those kinds of things. And then he goes down uh, yesterday. So they are just absolutely wrecked in terms of tackles they've just hit been hit player after player after player that's the worst of these acute injuries at left tackle problem uh meanwhile we've got the Steelers offensive line pass blocking pretty well overall far better than we had expected um so they weren't too bad you know a couple couple bad plays in there but yeah the Jets are stitching it together and um my issue with Zach Wilson we saw that early on it looked like He's just not handling pressure very well. He's running into pressure, running into sacks and everything. That that part's got to be better. I don't know if the second half, whatever comfort level he had. Um, but I would say 
Last year, we were just like looking for encouraging games for Zach Wilson. He had the game, I think second, second to last week of the year against the Bucks, where the first half was spectacular, like the best Zach Wilson had played, but the second half wasn't. I know we were reversing things right now, but you know maybe this was a, a turning point for Wilson in his career. I just think they, they just have a more equipped team this year around him. This is one of those despite weird, the offensive line issues. This is one of those weird games where I think it does actually say something relatively accurate about both teams, which is okay, the Jets end up stealing a win. They're now two and two. You're like, yeah, okay, the Jets, they're moving in the right direction overall as a franchise, and they might be pretty feisty this year. But unless Zach Wilson takes a pretty big step forward, they're not going to be, you know, a real team this year. Maybe that happens next year or whatever. And then for the Steelers, it's like, okay, encouraging from Kenny Pickett. I think they'll be better with him in the, in, as the quarterback versus Mitchell Trubisky. But they lose to the Jets. They're one and three. And you're like, you know what? It's not enough. Like, you're just not actually a particularly good team right now. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home? Planning to start a family? Wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Slash show, slash show code. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? Falcons. That's where we're going. Falcons 23. Browns 20. Look at the Falcons. They moved to 2-2 two and two, like everybody else in the league. Browns fall to 2-2. Two and two. And... Uh, you said this was going to be a sneaky good game. You lied. I mean, it was a good game. Uh-huh. It didn't score. It was, a, you know, it was an average game. Then how did I lie? It was fine. What's wrong with it? Maybe because it was driven by the running, the running games. Both teams averaging over five yards per carry. You just hate the run game. That's I do. That's problem. Tyler Algier, looking great. Looking great. Ten carries, 84 yards. Caleb Huntley, that's what the Falcons – that's – the Falcons running backs who went off yesterday. Huntley, Algier, and uh, the Falcons win a game with Marcus Mariota completing seven passes. Yeah. There were two games, one yesterday with an absurdly small number of uh, completions. This was so, you know, if you're getting out of control in terms of, hey, Jacoby Brissett is better than Deshaun Watson, this was the game that reminded you, actually, we've just been catching the high end of the Jacoby uh, range of outcomes slash roller coaster. There's worse to come. You know, and over 11 weeks, we're probably going to see worse. This was some of the worst, uh, including, you know, we were talking about what Lamar Jackson passed up slash missed on fourth down. You know, didn't see the, the open touchdown. Jacoby Brissett just straight threw the ball away on fourth down. Now, OK, you know, he'd run around. He extended the play for a while. But still, like end zone, it was fourth and goal, I think. And rather than throw it in the end zone, because what the hell, it's fourth down. He was like, no, nah, nothing's open. Throw it away. Live to, live to fight another day. He did, yeah, we, we said he likes to limit turnover-worthy plays. He really does. Except at the end of the game here. He does throw a game-ending interception. It was a game-ending, right? Basically, game-ending interception. Again. In, again. So second time in four weeks here in a fourth-quarter comeback attempt. So Brissett played a really clean game last week, Thursday night football against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Not so much here. And, uh, you know, credit the Falcons, man. They're creating offense. They're creating mismatches in the run game and everything <clears throat> excuse me all that said i think you saw how much the browns missed miles garrett in this game sure I and mean, they just missed i mean the entire 
like the entire defensive line got got smashed they yeah. they already don't have good interior defensive linemen but they got owned up front and, and that was the difference in the game that this was this was a trench game that um i mean the the, the browns did well offensively as far as moving the ball through the run, uh, run game and everything but defensively the browns just could not match up yeah i mean cleveland's defensive line has been miles garrett and then other people for a while you remove miles garrett from that it's a lot like pittsburgh's defensive line where when you remove tj watt from it it changes everything like tj watt have some more uh the steelers rather have some more players than cleveland does cameron hayward but it it completely transforms how you attack that defense or how you contend or how you contain the pass rush and what they can do you take miles garrett out of this lineup it's just just not the same defense yeah, so when the uh, when the grades are out, the defensive line will not be will not be good for the Cleveland Browns. So credit the a lot of not good for the Cleveland Browns. I mean, just a lot across the board. Grant Delpit had a good game though. I mean, their defensive grade overall 34, 28 run defense grade. Denzel Ward played well for the first time this year, right? Yeah, that was it. He'll probably argue that though. For the Browns. Oh, was he an arguer? Yeah, oh, yeah. He complained the other week that like we only gave him one catch. We had him charged for like four or five or something. Was he tweeting that out? He was, yeah. Yeah. It was one of those funny ones, though, where he tweets it complaining and everybody else actually argued with him. Oh, yeah. You know? It was like, actually, well, what about this play? Like, other people took up the mantle and were like, hey, how do you, how do you claim you, are, you aren't responsible for these catches? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, credit the Falcons. I mean, um, Arthur Smith was he chippy again? I just I don't know. It's always chippy. He's chippy again. Wait, so this is this is why I He's like excited this offense about the run game because complete, completed seven passes. Now the seven passes went for 139 yards, so there was some production in there. Um, but this is the kind of Atlanta can win games like this with this offense. That's why it's an entertaining offense to watch every week because it doesn't need a ton of passing production it can have success on the ground there's it's very hard to stop everything within this offense oh, it's gonna be obnoxious it's, not- it's obnoxious for fantasy owners though you get kyle pitts with one catch and drake london who'd been incredible he gets targeted seven times but only two catches the kyle pitts thing is is becoming a talking point because remember that we're a couple of weeks away from oh, it's not fantasy football like he'll get the ball when he needs the ball to win but now it's not even like he's not getting targets it's like he's not on the field as much as other players so 12 snaps on pass plays yeah but remember so they didn't this was not a high passing game so i know but, I know, but it's so, out of 20 i know so he's you look at the deployment of talent offensive skill position players whatever in this game for atlanta and it's like well you got a couple of problems here one you're essentially treating kyle pitts as a situational player now He's a passing player. He's not really on the field as much for run plays. So all of a sudden, he's being outsnapped by Parker Hesse. You know? Parker Hesse gets 48 snaps yesterday. Kyle Pitts has 34. Now, that's a problem immediately. I understand. Do they play the same position? Well, they both play tight end, quote-unquote. Ah, but Kyle Pitts is being treated as essentially the designate. He's the move tight end. He's the receiver of the group. So when they have run formations or when they're like power type football, 
evidently Parker Hesse is the guy that's playing tight end, whereas Kyle Pitts is like, well, you come on when we're passing the ball effectively. Look. But you've been saying he's a receiver, so they're not playing the same. He is a receiver, but I also think he can be a tight end. Like, this is the thing that Kyle Pitts is less special if you don't embrace the fact that he can do both. Like, if you just look at him and say, we're going to make him our ex receiver, A, you already drafted one of those in Drake London, who looks pretty good as well. So you immediately have kind of a problem. But also, it's just not taking advantage of what he does because immediately you're taking him off the field. So they're not, because they're, they are treating Drake London as the like Drake London played 44 snaps. You know, that makes yep. sense. There, there's just no reason Kyle Pitt should be getting 10 fewer snaps than that in a game, particularly a game where you're not having as much success passing the ball as you would like to have. I just, it's one thing to say he's on the field every snap, but he didn't get any targets because we go where the open guy is. You know, that, that's an argument I can, I can listen to because that makes some sense. But this is a different argument. This is, well, Kyle Pitts isn't on the field because we believe Parker Hesse gives us a better chance to win on these plays. I, I, really, wonder how much, I really wonder how much this week was, though. The Browns are so beat up on the defensive line. That's the game plan. We're going to run. I mean, not only do we want to run the ball, but like this week in particular, we're going run heavy, and that's what we're going to do. I know, but what I'm simply arguing is I'm not 100% sold on the idea that Parker Hesse gives you a better chance to do that than Kyle Pitts. I mean, Hesse's a better run blocker. Yeah, but is it much better? And also, it's not like Kyle Pitts doesn't bring other threats to the table. No, I get it. Um, we've got a year four O-line breakout potential alert here. Caleb McGarry, former first-round pick, who's been uh, below average over the f- last three years. He has a huge game. Guard Chris, uh, Chris Lindrum. Lindstrom has a huge game. Good speaking. Both, go- both of those guys were first-round picks a few years ago. They were key parts here. Lindstrom's grade go mm-hmm. up. It's currently sitting at a 99.9. Is that honestly what it is? Looks like what it is. Dominant run blocking grades for both. We'll have to check it out. That would be, I mean, that's got to be the greatest single game grade we've ever seen, right? Simply because there is no higher grade than that. Well, let's see when it goes live. If it's not live yet, I don't know. Okay. All right, what else do we have for 1 o'clock games? Man, we haven't, man, going slow. Philadelphia Eagles, 29. Jacksonville Jaguars, 21. Eagles, fall behind 14 to nothing then they go on a 29 to nothing run jaguars tried to tried to crawl back in claw back in crawl back in jaguars claw but uh not enough another rain game here that um throw it out no don't throw it out very much happened because trevor lawrence's ball security was terrible it was part was wet partially because of the rain but um another game where the eagles show they can win in different ways in this particular game it's miles sanders going off for 134 yards and two touchdowns winning up front for the eagles despite losing left tackle jordan mylotta early in the game eagles remain the only undefeated team in the league yeah and so this was an impressive game from philadelphia because of the a couple of things one losing jordan mylotta after what six snaps two they went down pretty hard early 14 nothing hole Jacksonville looked good. You know, we've been talking about Jacksonville being a team on the rise. A couple of good games from Trevor Lawrence sequentially. They beat up on the Chargers last week. All of a sudden, Philadelphia, for the first time this season, are in a completely different game flow than they've been. They've been front runners. They've been the team out and head, leading from a, a, a position of strength. Now they're 14 nothing down. Things aren't going as well, and it's a whole different scenario. Remember that Mike Tyson quote? You know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. 
Mm-hmm. Well, this was the first time this season the Eagles got punched in the mouth. And it's like, well, what's your game plan now? It turns out the game plan is the same. We just keep on trucking, and we'll, we'll come back from 14 nothing down. And they have started to – well, they kind of have the same approach of the Bills, which is when in doubt, let Jalen Hurts figure it out, and it, it functions for them. Like, they are basically unstoppable when they do the QB sneak or QB draw stuff, and that was a big part of how Jalen Hurts was executing this comeback in the second quarter. Yeah, so to fall behind, Jalen Hurts throws a pick six. Um, Andre Sisco takes it to the house. Did they fumble a kickoff return after that? Is that what it was? Yeah. There was some sort of other turnover, right, I think, in there. Yeah. Um, but then the Jags started – they gave it back the other way, too. Not only did Lawrence – you know, his ball security was just – Well, that's the thing about these wet weather games is, okay, you can put the ball on the ground a couple of times and that's bad, but there's a pretty good chance they will as well because it's not like it's only affecting you. So right. if you hang tough – there's a reasonable chance they'll give you one back. Lawrence fumbled a QB sneak attempt in the second quarter. He has he gets fooled on an interception. Great play by James Bradbury. Remember, we highlighted him before the game as a near-identical coverage grade and coverage stats to Darius Slay, who is going to be all-pro. Darius Slay is going to be all-pro because of that Monday night football game. But James Bradbury had the great interception on the wheel route, kind of baiting Trevor Lawrence. Um as much as we had talked about, hey, Lawrence is looking good, back-to-back games, and we want to throw it out because of the weather and all that stuff, the Eagles well, let's, weren't let me, having it. Let me ask you the same question that was being asked last week. Is Trevor Lawrence currently a top-10 quarterback? No. Yeah. Off the back of his 29 passing grade. Yeah, I mean, we'll throw it out. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah we throw can throw it out. It. I'm just saying this is why He's you might want to you know, not ask questions like that after two reasonable games because this happens. I think they were just just asking the question, man. No, because people were saying yes. Yes? Yes. Nobody said yes. People said yes. (sighs) Jamal Agnew is like one of the most fascinating players in the NFL to me. Yeah? He catches four for 50 yards, a couple scores for the the Jags. Well, let me ask you a question about, so why is Jamal Agnew a better Travis Etienne than Travis Etienne? I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, Agnew's like that guy that, I mean, he's whatever he is positionally. Receiver, move him around. He creates big plays. But that should be like your number four. And there were times in, you know, last year where Trevor Lawrence, it's like you're throwing to Jamal Agnew. He doesn't, he doesn't run like the nuanced wide receiver routes that you need and all that stuff. But he will take the top off the defense. But he's usually a nice complement to Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, and the whole deal. But, um, you know, Marvin Jones does pretty much nothing yesterday. Christian Kirk has a – was it a busted coverage for a bunch of yards late or whatever? But, like, the, the key receivers in this game for the yeah. Jaguars – Christian Kirk had nine targets and two catches. Yeah. The key receivers aren't producing – He also had three drops in there, by the way. Yeah. I mean, rain game. Throw it out. I, that's what I'm saying. But a- Agnew being the guy that is a nice compliment to them. But, anyway – Philadelphia, you have A.J. Brown. You know, they win different ways, man. Last week it was Devontae Smith. He only had the 17 yards in this one. A.J. Brown continues to be fantastic. Dallas, Dallas Goddard making plays. And like I said, Sanders on the ground. Jalen Hurts ran the ball a bunch. But um, four rushing touchdowns. You know, Kenneth Gainwell found the end zone late in the game, too. Had a negated uh, touchdown reception, I believe it was, and then ran one in as well. The Eagles have multiple ways to win. 
that is the story right now. Yeah, and I, I think I thought they adjusted well to losing Jordan Mailata. Like the first drive or two after that happened, they they were very sort of conservative slash timid about what they were running on offense. And then once they figured out, yeah, we're still okay. Like but this isn't going to be a total disaster at left tackle. Um, then they kind of they functioned again. The offense was was what it should be, and I think that was impressive. So hugely impressed generally by Philadelphia in this game coming back from the punch in the mouth and adjusting on the fly to losing one of your best players on offense and potentially destabilizing like the foundation of everything that's been going well in terms of the offensive line for them to come away with this win was was very impressive so um to to finish the game here Philly, Philly was up 29 to 14 they had been on a 29 nothing run Jaguars come back score get within eight and then they get the ball back with a two-minute drive. Uh, minute 54 left. I think as soon as I sent you a message, here we go, Trevor Lawrence, a little comeback opportunity. I think the rain had stopped by this point, right? Um, still a wet ball, whole deal. And uh, Hassan Reddick with the strip sack on the very first play to end it for the Eagles. So you've got Hassan Reddick. He had the best pass rush. He had two strip sacks in there. So 94-plus pass rush grade. I don't think the, the Eagles' pass rush wasn't incredible across the board it was really just reddick making those huge plays those were the two sacks those were the strip sacks and uh that's it yeah jacksonville's offensive line has been reasonable actually this season they have they've actually been a little bit better than i expected anything else on the eagles here moving to four now no just just my general uh i am impressed i am as well uh chargers 34 houston texans 24 chargers got up big early Texans remain feisty. They got it within a score. It was 21-0. Chargers almost immediately. They get up to 27-7 by the half. And then the Texans start to uh, creep back a little bit. Davis Mills hits Brandon Cooks. First touchdown by a receiver for the Texans. uh, Wide receiver for the Texans. And they get within three, 27-24. But Chargers come back with the score to move to 34-24. And that was it. Chargers pull away and cover we both called it yep cover the five big game from damian pierce a running back the texans rookie ends up with uh, over 100 yards 100 yards after contact a couple explosive runs in there including a, the big touchdown run he looked very good austin eckler finally had the monster fantasy game that everyone's been whinging about um so you do a game where running backs showed up a game where running backs showed up and um Justin Herbert got away with an uncharacteristic turnover-worthy play early in the game, but other than that, looked pretty good again. Coming back from the torn cartilage, didn't miss a whole bunch of throws, adjusted completion percentage over 76. Uh, Chargers offense, even without Keenan Allen, just looking good here. Texans remain feisty, but that's that's pretty much it. A random game where Jerry Tillery looked like uh, college Jerry Tillery. Those had have been a, rare. Yeah, had an impact uh, sack had a really that was a really nice play you don't see a ton of that in the nfl from jerry but it showed it's at least still there he's capable of it i just don't understand why it doesn't happen all the time the player had a big big game as well yeah and so joey bosa is gonna be out a long time yeah how many weeks was it like eight weeks or something they're gonna be missing him yeah that's a tough one chris rump uh took he had 20 pass rushes one of the guys trying to replace Joey Bosa, not so hot. Morgan Fox on the interior provided pretty good pass rush there. So Chargers tapping into their depth, like a lot of teams, but tapping into their depth. 
still have this weird J.C. Jackson season going, man. He made a ton of money. He's got two games and grading under 40 overall. Chargers cornerback who, speaking of ball magnets, we were talking about Minka Fitzpatrick. J.C. Jackson just knew how to pick the ball off. I, I am curious about this. I mean, you're coming from a man-heavy scheme with New England, going to the Chargers, completely different system. It did feel like, though, a guy that is a turnover machine would fit well into the system, but they're playing a different style. It's early on. He's been battling injuries, but something to keep an eye on for the Chargers. Even in this win, he just wanted to keep an eye on it for J.C. Jackson. Yeah. Um, this, this is a weird game because it felt so in control for the Chargers until Houston ended up making it a little bit closer late in the game. Um Jamari Sawyer played pretty well for the Chargers. Remember, like, the no Rashawn Slater. So it's is that offensive line going to survive, going to hold up, going to give Justin Herbert enough time and be able to keep going? Okay, they had Corey Lindsley back. That will help. Rookie know, sixth rounder playing excellent for the Chargers. Yeah. yeah, and a guy who, you know, he he looks like a guard in terms of body shape, you know, without, yeah. without meaning to fat shame the man. He's got a he's shaped like a guard, you know. But he he was a left tackle for the national champion Georgia Bulldogs and a pretty good one in the SEC. You know, all these things that everybody talks about as between the hedges, <laughs> as credentials for the NFL. He had, but because he's sort of shaped like a guard, it's like, well, he's a six rounder, and if we're going to play him anywhere, he's going to go inside. But no chance later, he goes out, plays left tackle, plays well. So. I mean, that's a, like, it's one game. Who knows? Sample size thing. But the Texans have got pass rushers. And if that's an indication of what he can do, number one, the Chargers might be fine at left tackle for a while without Rashawn Slater. And number two, he's making a case that when Slater gets back, he could be your starting right tackle. Yeah, I really thought the Texans had a chance to create pressure up front, and they did not. So, not very good by them. Chargers defensive front played... Played a good game. Texans moved to 0-3. Are they the only winless team left? Texans? With their 0-3-1. 0-3-1. Texans. Anyway, Chargers win. They moved to 2-2 two two like the rest of the league. <laughs> Not like the 3-1 Giants. No. The Giants 20, Bears 12. Bears fall to 2-2. Two two. Well, that changes everything. Because when I was saying that Justin Fields was struggling as a passer, all the Bears fans are saying, yeah, but we're 2-1. and one. Mike Renner just tweeted out an incredible stat. Did you happen to see it? Nope. About Justin Fields. Justin Fields has been, he has turned, this is the quote from our friend, Mike Renner, at PFF underscore Mike. Justin Fields has turned 49 dropbacks under pressure this season into only five completions. Five completions on 49 dropbacks under pressure. That's not good. Yeah. Um, Fields throws, I mean, his best throw of the year, an absolute dime to Darnell Mooney, 56-yarder. Not that you can take that away, but other than that, it was a rough offense again that for the also, Bears. That play felt like it should have gone for more yardage. It felt like Mooney made a mess of tracking that and ends up making the catch anyway in a decent end. Like, it's a beautiful throw. Yeah, yeah. But So he ends up making a good catch at the end, but it felt like there was no need to make it as hard as it, as it looked. Like, if he just kept running and tracked it properly, he would have actually been able to catch it in stride and potentially housed it. I, I don't know. Yeah. It just felt like a weird play in terms of tracking the ball for Mooney, who, let's be honest, has not had the ball come his way an awful lot this season. Hasn't had a lot of practice. 
Um, so, hey, credit the Giants, their defense. Saquon Barkley had his buck 46 again. Daniel Jones remains one of the most dangerous. I mean, he's been one of the most productive runners in the NFL. Yeah. At quarterback, of course, he ends up getting hurt. Tyrod Taylor comes in, throws a pick on three attempts. Gets concussed. Eddie Jackson finally found the ball. Yeah. Tyrod yeah. gets concussed, and, man, who the heck's going to play quarterback for that big 3-1 and one versus 3-1 and one matchup against the Packers next week? Tyrod Taylor had three pass attempts and two turnover-worthy plays. It's impressive. It is. Not in the way you want to be impressive, but it is impressive. At one point— that's Mike. Well, that's what like Mike Lennon would do last year for the Giants when he came in. Nathan Peterman. That's, Peter that is special. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ty, so Tyra get, gets concussed. Daniel Jones got a gimpy ankle. And at one point, the Giants had no quarterback and were running wildcat plays with Saquon Barkley with a hobbled Daniel Jones essentially standing at wide receiver just watching this happen. Uh, then they eventually decided Jones could get back in and keep functioning. But I don't quite understand why the Bears defense had never considered the possibility that Daniel Jones might keep the ball on one of these play action plays and just run into the open field that's been undefended but that happened multiple times in this game which is weird I, it would be one they essentially treated daniel jones as if he was peyton manning remember that famous peyton manning play where he does the same thing like keeps it runs into yeah. the flat and it's like <laughs> never saw that coming because because that happened once every naked 10 boot. years right naked boot he just yeah. keep it yeah. that happened like once every 10 years where eventually teams would literally treat peyton manning like he was an ornamental part of the play and they would keep it, and he'd be literally nobody within 20 yards of him. They were doing that to Daniel Jones, except that's a fairly regular thing for Daniel Jones to run the ball. Yeah, Jones is a good, effective runner, and he was again in this one. Uh, the leading receivers for the Giants, oh. tight end Daniel Bellinger. Of course. Tight end Tanner Hudson. Yeah. Running back Saquon Barkley. Uh-huh. And then you finally get to receiver Darius Slate. I mean, by the way, Bellinger was the leader with 23 passing receiving yards. Well, then you finally see. get Darius Slayton and Richie James combined for 20 yards. Just look at the David targets. Sills had five. No, no receiver of any description had more than four targets for the Giants. No wide receiver had more than three targets. It's going to sound like we're hating on the three and one Giants, but again, I'm going to reiterate the schedule. Well, I mean, hey, the Giants pulled the upset against the Titans. They they might be the worst three and one time or three and one team ever. Of course. Might be. I it mean, to be. who was the last one? You were, is it the Panthers from a couple of years ago? It was were... the Pan- the year the Panthers went 6-2 and two and took a lot of crap for calling them the worst 6-2 and two team in history, and they yeah. ended up being 6-6 six and six within weeks. They lost, like, their next four. Um, the Giants are not good, but they won against another not good team. Yeah, they beat the, they beat the Panthers a couple of weeks ago, lose to the Giants, uh, lose to the Cowboys, beat the Bears. This is what I'm saying about the schedule. Yeah, the Giants, they beat the Titans, who, you know, are, I don't know, maybe a decent team. But because the Giants got to play the Panthers and the Bears in two out of the first four weeks, this is why everybody's 2-2. Two and two. That's why everybody's 2-2. Two and two. Everybody's The Bears got to play the Texans. Yeah. Right? The NFL, man, they nailed it this year. Give everybody hope. Dexter Lawrence was a Je- Dexter monster. Lawrence was fantastic. Eight pressures. Two sacks, a hit, five hurries, three uh, pass rush wins that didn't get to become pressure because the ball was gone. Like, he was an absolute beast in this game. Only a handful of times. Micah McFadden, the rookie linebacker, he was was one of the better college pass rushing linebackers. He had a couple pressures in there as well. Just like a good fit for the Giants. Just want to highlight that because they they blitz so much. Just a good fit for what they want to do. But yeah, Dexter Lawrence was fantastic. The Giants... Um, Andrew Thomas continues to play great at left tackle. 
And um, yeah, Giants pass rush was really good. And then Justin Fields, again, six sacks here. Six sacks and 11 completions. There's just too many. I, I know a couple of those sacks were for, for like no yards. But listen, for all the people last year who were like, this is Matt Nagy's fault. Matt Nagy is ruining Justin Fields. I mean, maybe he did ruin him, which is why we have these bad plays this year. <laughs> But you, everybody last year was like, Matt Nagy, you idiot, just roll Justin Fields out. That's all you have to do. Like, Ju- Justin Fields has a clear, wide-open bootleg, right? You run the bootleg, get the defense moving, you get the tight end in the flat. He's got an open tight end in the flat. He just doesn't throw it and takes the sack instead. That was the first sack for the Bears. Like, you got to get better at the easy stuff. Every now and again, Fields will reel you back in with the special throws like he did last year in the Pittsburgh game and like he does to the, the Darnell Mooney throw and, and, or a spectacular run here and there. He still had it over 50 yards on the ground. you got to get better at the easy stuff. Yeah. If you're so, Justin Fields and, and the Bears. And so, I know the supporting cast isn't great. I know all that stuff. And by the way, this was the game, as great as Dexter Lawrence was and everything, this was the game we expected probably the Bears offensive line to have all year, which was just getting whooped up front. They had been decent because they're not pass protecting a ton and they are moving the pocket and doing all this stuff to protect them. But Fields, not only does he have to be better under pressure, five completions on the 49 pressure dropbacks, as we said, just got to get better at the easy stuff if you're Justin Fields, if you're going to be the guy going forward. Yeah, so six sacks, only three of which were charged to blockers. So Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like a couple where he's scrambling and they were for like no yard. That was like one of those no yards where you call it like depending on where it is it's like no gain or a sack like there was a couple of those there's the fields rollout which was completely on him but they 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 did give up a lot of pressure i mean they did get whooped up but my point being it's not it's being made to look worse by justin fields at the moment i mean if yeah if you're looking at sack totals yes that's it's fields but this was this was a poor performance up front overall by the bears yeah all of it's true Right, which is usually the way this stuff works, is that it has a compounding effect, and the sum of the problem is greater than the individual parts. Let's go to the 4 o'clock games. Green Bay Packers 27, New England Patriots 24. Brian Hoyer knocked out of the game after the first drive. Yep. Opening the door for Bailey Zappi, rookie fourth-round pick out of Western Kentucky. And, uh, I mean, when you see that happening, it's like, hey, Packers are going to... They're going to mop up. They're going to win this thing. But the Patriots hung tough. They stayed in it. Uh, Romeo Dobbs has uh, – what did we say? Is It was Dobbs, right? Yeah. Romeo Dobbs fumbles early, right? Keeps the Patriots in it. Then Aaron Rodgers throws a pick six before the half, and it's like Patriots are leading at the half with Bailey Zappi under center. The Patriots were not completely dusting off the game plan from Windy Buffalo last year where they wouldn't throw it at all, but – it was a lot of first round, first first down runs. They didn't want Zappy dropping back unless it was under with like deep play action, you know, two man concepts. And you know, Aaron Rodgers has a rough first half, but boy, I think what turned the game. Rodgers had a couple third and long absolute dimes, where if he doesn't make those pinpoint throws, I mean, this game like the Patriots win going away. It, you know, Rodgers was part of the problem early, but I'm saying. He hits Alan Lazard on a third and long, hits Randall Cobb, throws some absolute dimes. Um, and then his best throw was to Dobbs in the end zone. Should have been the game-winning touchdown, but falls incomplete. Yeah, I mean, you're just seeing the weekly realization of the problems that Green Bay have at receiver. Like, okay, Alan Lazard ends up with uh, 100 yards, fine. But you can see plays where 
Lazard's just not capable of being that elite number one guy. Romeo Dobbs is the closest thing they have to that receiver. And he just, every now, like, he keeps making a mistake that sets him back. You know, like, every... Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay offense are giving Romeo Dobbs every possible opportunity to show that he can be their number one receiver over the course of the season. And he just keeps making a big mistake frequently enough that it's like, ah, maybe you can't. Like, the fumble, okay, those happen. It wasn't wasn't an egregiously bad play by Dobbs, but it's the kind of play where you're looking at that, you know, Aaron Rodgers looking at that and going, come on, like, keep hold of the ball. The touchdown that wasn't was the same thing. Beautiful dime, catches it, secures it on the way, and then loses it as he hits the ground, and, you know, the ground forces the incompletion, essentially. Again, it's like, okay, they happen, but I really need you to come up with that, you know? Like, come on, I'm giving you the shot here. A number one receiver comes yeah. up with that touchdown. I, I, Dobbs, I think, has the potential to be that guy, but he just he's been shooting himself in the foot just a little bit too often so far. To, for it for it to be locked in already. I always view that as those are those are such bad plays, but they're not. They, they just don't happen at a high rate. So like the next time I said this about Watson, week one, Aaron Rodgers first throw of the season, Christian Watson's wide open deep and he drops it. I'm like he's gonna catch eight out of ten of those at least. Yeah. But the skill is getting open deep and Dobbs, Dobbs does he had the nice back shoulder for a touchdown he's got that body control like i think they're going to be okay but the other thing is Dobbs, at least. you're right in terms of big picture it's more important that he was open and had the target but the guy throwing you the ball is the one whose confidence you need to maintain or secure going forward to be that number one guy and while big picture it doesn't change anything you know like it the important skill is getting open, and if you get the ball often enough, you'll make those catches and it'll be productive. But if the dude who just watched you drop the pass, drop, you know, uh, the dude who just watched you be the reason that it didn't result in a touchdown is like, you asshole, you just screwed me out of the score. <laughs> You're not getting the ball for a while. That's a problem because yeah. now it doesn't matter that, you know, next one you'll catch because you're not going to get the next one anymore. He's going to go somewhere else with the ball. And that that's kind of the problem that Christian Watson is dealing with, right? Play number one in the NFL, open for a deep touchdown against Patrick Peterson, toasts him, and then drops the ball. Well, he's had 10 total targets across four games now, three games. Um, he's not getting the ball anymore because Rodgers doesn't trust him. He'll get You now get a quick jet sweep, you know? You get a nice, simple rushing play that you can't really screw up. That's your role now. That's the danger with Dobbs. Like, okay, you, you make a, you, a fumble that happens or a, a an incompletion that's kind of on you for a touchdown the next one you might make but only if you get the next one and that's the issue is that every one of these wide receivers in green bay is fighting to secure the confidence of a guy who seems to have you know a fairly transient confidence level in these guys i think you i think he'll believe in dobbs well i think at so, some point he has to believe in somebody yeah because you just can't function if you don't and and Dobbs is the most likely of them to justify that. It was a Tony Romo that made the point on Randall Cobb. Like, every now and again, he runs routes, and it's like, man, he looks 10 years younger. It, doesn't Randall Cobb feel like he's been in the league like 15 years? Yeah. It hasn't been that much. He's still but, only 32. Yeah, still only 32. You know, he's not even close to us. But, you know, they might have what they need here. They might have what they need. Um, Rogers played so much better 
in the second half than he did in the first half. And I've, I said this last year about the Packers offense. Aaron Jones, I mean, if, you were in, if you're into running back play, four good running backs. And the, like four running backs played really well between Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon for the Packers, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson for the Patriots. A lot of run game for both teams in this one. But the Packers tackling Aaron Jones, then trying to tackle A.J. Dillon, challenging, right? And then their first touchdown was Christian Watson on the jet sweep. And it's like, how are you going to – like, that's 4-3 speed that they're getting to the edge. The Packers do a great job of just making life difficult for their tacklers and in the run game. And then you add the fact that you have Aaron Rodgers, it's like, okay, this should be if, – if Dobbs can hold on to the ball – Lazard's been solid. Like this should still be a good or a difficult defense or offense to defend. Um, again, Patriots hung tough in there, but um, <laughs> Rogers just made too many throws in the end. The Patriots scored on the most ridiculous delay of game non-call that I think I've oh, ever seen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that thing hit. I was sometimes you see the TV and it's like I wonder if the TV feed is just way off from the yeah. actual play clock. It's unofficial, right? They, I think what happened was, I th- so the, the back judge was supposed to watch that. They had just picked up a delay of game. And I feel like they didn't, are they supposed to reset that to 40? Yeah. And I, I, it, it felt quick. Yeah. So it felt like they only put it to 25. And then when it hit zero, the back judge was like, oh, we forgot to reset. This, this, is, what, this is my vibe, was that they forgot to reset it. And he's like, we'll just let it slide. It should have been 40, it was 25. This is, but it was it was sitting at zero for like a good two to three seconds. No, it wasn't even. It reset. It went down. So they oh, I know. it yeah. hit zero, and then they reset it again to forty, and it started ticking down again. Like by the time they got the ball off, the play clock was reading thirty nine from the next time around. You yeah. know, the just a reminder of what an idiotic process that is. That the way delay for a multi billion dollar industry that you know. The amount of money and investment and everything that hinges on this game and the technology involved in some instances, and yet we measure first downs by eyeballing it and then pulling out a couple of sticks on a chain, and delay of game is measured by a guy sitting at the back watching the play clock tick down, you know, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Then once it hits zero, you have to reach. He goes and looks for for the snap to see if it's moved or not. Like, it's a ridiculous process. It's absolutely insane that this is how it functions. Anyway, for some reason at this game, at the, in this particular instance, it was at least two seconds delayed of game, and yet the Patriots end up scoring on the play. I'd be aggrieved about that if I was a Green Bay. Um, yeah. Again, I, I, I feel like that was a more of they didn't reset it properly than uh, and we're kind of giving the Patriots a pass. But it looked pretty ugly. It looked bad. Um, anyway, Bailey Zappi, when he did drop back to pass, I mean, they had, he had a couple nice throws on play action, but they couldn't do much other than that. I mean, it, the Patriots, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, 4.8 and 4.7 per carry. They, the Packers knew the Patriots were going to run, had probably no fear of Bailey Zappi, and the Patriots still ran the ball pretty well, just yeah. like four four yards a pop, four yards a pop, broke a couple, you know, ten to fifteen yarders, and um, hung tough, man. They they hung as tough as you possibly could. Ends up going to overtime here. Um, honestly, the Matt, Matt Lafleur used used a challenge on the Dobbs 
near touchdown, which was almost certainly not going to get overturned. That ended up costing the Packers because they had no chance yeah. to make a comeback in the fourth quarter, but it didn't ultimately cost you. Rodgers with a game-tying drive and then the game-winning drive in overtime to win by three. Huge game from uh, Rashawn Gary. Again. Yes, he was unblockable, man. Yeah. Looked great. What was his final? I was, I was about to actually go check his. Five pressures, I think a couple of sacks, 90-something PFF. He was the only guy. It was It's one of those games. He was the only guy getting pressure. The fact that he had five pressures, only 21 rushes, a couple sacks. He had the strip sack in there too, right? I think he, uh, did he strip sack? Strip sack, one of them. The, uh, the Jones talent this week of the Patriots corners was Jack Jones that got the well, Marcus had some really good returns, too. Well, yeah, but he wasn't, he didn't have the defensive snaps. But of Jonathan Jones, Jack Jones, and Marcus Jones, it was Jack Jones that had the, uh, the really impressive performance. Yeah, a rare pick six for Aaron Rodgers in this one. He does not, he just left a deep out inside. He does not do that there often. Were a few of those plays throughout the NFL yesterday, where, I mean, there, there's always a few of them, but like, it's felt like yesterday there was a lot of passes like that where they were just left inaccurately inside and it caused yeah. problems. Uh, by the way, the Packers offense, because the Patriots were playing man, the Packers offense felt so disjointed early on. The pass game, the run game was fantastic, but Rodgers kept throwing the ball down the field, kept throwing fades. They were not connecting on any of them. Um, it was just a whole bunch of low percentage throws early That's on. That's also the problem with this receiver pro- issue, right? Like Rodgers has been doing that for years, but the guy at the other end trusts, is, is on the same page and it looks way better. When all of a sudden you don't trust the guy that you're throwing to, or he's just not on the same, he doesn't have the same sync, you know, that Devontae Adams or Jordy Nelson or whatever did, that kind of connection, the chemistry, that's the intangible that's always thrown for that. But that understanding needs to be at both ends of the throw, otherwise the throw looks dumb. If it's only at one end, right, and you're like, well, look, <laughs> you need to understand where I'm putting this ball. Otherwise, it just looks like I'm throwing it to nowhere. That's what he's living through right now. Arizona Cardinals 26, Carolina Panthers 16. Other, one of the other uh, 4 o'clock window games. Not the most exciting game in the world. No. You know how the scoring started? Frankie Louvu picks 6 for the Panthers. They get up 7 nothing. But uh, the Barbarian was making big plays. The Barbarian. Right? Barbarian was all over the place. Dennis the Barbarian Gardeck. So the Panthers offense, um, all they got was a field goal and then a late touchdown. Baker's best throw, Baker Mayfield's best throw, seam route to Christian McCaffrey for a 13-yard touchdown to get within 10, failed two-point conversion with about four-something left. And uh, and that was all she wrote. So um, Cardinals moved to two and two. Panthers fall to one and three. Still a rough Panthers offense. And uh, the Cardinals, you know, they weren't great offensively either. This was a defensive struggle for the majority of the, of the game. But you get Marquise Brown, Zach Ertz get into the end zone on touchdown passes from Kyler Murray. And the Cardinals survive. They do. They survive. The Panthers offense, just it's so bad. So bad across the board. Like there's no, there's basically no good element to this offense at all. Nobody's being put in this position to succeed. Some people are occasionally succeeding anyway, in spite of not being put in a position to succeed. But it's pretty miserable to watch, like, overall. It, it, there was a little bit of a shine put on it late with, with the plays they had. But, I mean, changes need to be made for this thing to function in any 
way shape or form yeah we said because arizona's defense had been struggling this year so it might be the week where they look a little bit better yeah not so much it was not no um Frankie. Arizona's offense, though. So, I mean, Panthers' defense has played pretty well. Luvu's got the – he has the pick six. But, I mean, it's still like this. There's just not a lot of big plays in Arizona's offense either. I do wonder when DeAndre Hopkins comes back if that helps a little bit. Once you push Marquise Brown down a little bit and, you know. Well, also just what that looks like because, you know, Marquise Brown has been the high-volume guy as well as the – the, the deep threat and everything else they have going. Um, Rondale Moore came back in this game. He tied for the lead or the lead with the Cardinals in terms of receiving snaps. But that pushed Greg Dortch essentially off the field, who's actually been productive for them so far. This Gotta season. keep Dortch. Gotta so keep him going. They just the Cardinals offense in terms of skill position players, they have a they have some work to do in terms of figuring out how this whole thing fits together. There's a lot of talent there, but Again, like it's another one of these offenses that isn't exactly working in sync with the individual players that they have and isn't as good as it should be because of that. Uh, the, the Panthers is the same thing, but I don't think they have like they have bigger institutional problems to fix in order to maximize it. Frankie Luvu is actually a really good linebacker. Yeah. He had last season <clears throat> was this sort of unexpected impressive performance from him off you know relatively low sample size we had like a pff grade of 85 or whatever that's like oh maybe that was just a you know he was really good last year but small sample size who knows he still looks really good yeah that was a great play by him may have gotten away with a little tug upon review also kept trying to start like arguments and fights in the game he ended up getting uh those are fun getting will hernandez ejected because after tossing James Conner to the ground. A little Same attitude thing. for the Panthers. I just kicked the mic. Still working? Check, check. Uh, Zach Allen, sneaky good player for the Cardinals here. Zach Allen, former third-round pick out of Boston College. Three straight years of sub-60 grades. It has his uh, second really good game in three weeks. Kind of a hybrid interior defensive lineman slash edge defender playing really well against the run right now. Just wanted to highlight his play. Year four breakout alert on the defensive line for Zach Allen and the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, they're moving him around a lot. Like, he's, he's getting a lot of pressure, basically lined up as a, like basically like a nose tackle, you know, and, and making a mess of interior plays, or plays on the interior, rather. And, of course, the Barbarian ends up with a good grade. Barbarian, yes. What was the big play that I said about him? Yeah, like, was it a pick or a fumble recovery a... late? Like, he, he was returning a ball for a large... You know, in it for a key play late in the game. We joke about the Barbarian, but that's Dennis Gardex. He's six feet, 232 out of Sioux Falls. He's been here for a few years. He had that incredible small sample size of like six rushes in 2020 when he was awesome. But look, earning more, earning more playing time this year. Just big, always around the ball. The game fourth round, right Matt in the middle Ioannidis. of fourth down stops and everything. Matt Ioannidis with a big game again. Yeah. My guy. Panthers are so bad that they're ruining all of my guys. It was your guy team. Yeah. Or maybe your guys are ruining their team. No, it's not. They're all being undermined. Oh, Arizona moves to 2-2. Two and two. So they got to play the Panthers. Just stay in the mix. Panthers fall to 1-3. and three. I got nothing else on this game. No. Sorry. We got two more games. Denver Broncos and Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders win 32-23. to 23. I, I got this game wrong. Yeah? Yeah, I picked Denver. I thought this was the weirdest spread of the week. I'm like, no, Russ on we the road. Pick Denver, yeah. Um, it was a weird game, though, right? Because, like, Russell Wilson, 
overall played a better game than Derek Carr. This is one of Carr's worst games statistically, at least. But the run game was the difference. You have Melvin Gordon. Well, particularly late. With a fumble six. And then Josh Jacobs was was unstoppable for the Raiders. Yeah. But, so, you know, De- Denver's offense has been struggling pretty badly so far this season. The Russell Wilson thing, we've, you know, we've talked that to death. Um, but the defense has been really good. So, you know, fourth quarter, Denver ties it up. There's seven minutes left. And then Denver's defense just forgot how to defense. And the Raiders just cruised down the field, took five minutes off the clock, you know, ran the ball at will and put up another touchdown. And that was, it was it. Yeah. So like, the, you know, the, it ends up looking pretty egregious, but it was actually a way closer game than it looked. Um, sorry, I didn't tie it. I've got within two. But right, that, so they got within two. Right. And, and, then, then the, and then the Raiders just it's ran like it we out. just need to hold, right? Yeah. We got it within two. We need to hold on defense. Our defense is really good. And the Raiders just stomped their defense, particularly running the ball. They just marched the ball down the field at will, took five minutes off the clock, scored a touchdown. You're like, well, that's the game. I mean, we're done now. Yeah, again, it's like if the first three weeks, Denver's offense was, was so disjointed. And this was this was like old school Russell Wilson in that he's he's hitting Jerry Judy on a slot fade, he's hitting the seam route to the tight end, a beautiful bomb to uh, KJ Hamler in the fourth quarter. Yep. Um, this was like the the low volume passing attack that you kind of, that you saw from Seattle, right? It wasn't hey Russ, drop back 40, 45 times and hit the short stuff. This was flip the field with your arm, and he did it a bunch. But he still got sacked three times. He still had those negative plays. Melvin Gordon fumbles. Amik Robinson, Amik Robinson just returns it all the way. I mean, that, that was a really good return because it didn't look like he was going to return it for a touchdown. Um, what was the final return on that? 50-some yards? 68 yards. A 68-yard fumble return, which, you know, he, he found open space. And who was the lineman who flailed at the end? That was hilarious. It was Garrett Bowles. Was that Bowles? It was spectacular. There's a yeah. play that happens every preseason, or that comes up every preseason, which looked a lot like that, where an Eagles defensive lineman, I think, makes some absurd, like, cartoon leap, you know, on a play that's nowhere near him, just to sort of show, hey, coach, I'm trying. Like, I'm giving it my all. I'm diving at a guy that's seven yards away from me, you know. <laughs> Garrett Bowles did that at the end of this return where he was like a good five yards behind the guy and just lays out, tries to die for it. Uh, I actually, I retweeted it with the, uh, I don't know who it was, but that, that, that didn't go viral as much as it should have. No? You guys say me reaching for the open button when someone wants to get on the elevator and you're like you're diving across the elevator to let them in, you know, yeah. keep the door open. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, anyway, that was, I mean, that was a huge part of the difference in the game there, obviously. Yeah. Um, so, so what I'm trying to say about Denver's offense, you finally get good Russell Wilson. You, you finally get the Seattle Russell Wilson that is going to create these huge chunk plays, but they didn't pair it with the run game, right? Javante Williams, before he got hurt, unfortunately. He might be done. He might be done for the season. I mean, Russ was the leading. Uh, he led the team in rushing yards with 29. Melvin Gordon essentially gets benched in his backup role for Mike Boone. Even when Javante Williams goes down, it's still pretty much Mike Boone's game. He runs hard, you know, catches catches a pass in there and everything. But the run game didn't complement Russell Wilson. 
creating those big plays. And I know they, they scored 23 points. That was a lot for the Broncos. They had just won two games combined with 23 points over the last couple of weeks. But then, like you said, the Broncos forgot how to defense. Boone drops the fourth down. That was actually a really good play from Russell Wilson with two, you know, under two minutes yeah. left. Try and answer. Fourth and five. Uh, Wilson, you know, escapes from the pocket, ends up throwing it deep down the middle to, to Mike Boone, done a good job to get open, and then stolen and a drop, play or drive dead, game over. So the uh, Broncos fall to two and two. Yep. And the Raiders get their first win. They do. One and three. Um, Josh Jacobs was fantastic in this game. For a guy that for a guy that played the first in the in the Hall of Fame game. Josh Jacobs really come come a far away, come a long way here. Well, he had to earn it, you know? He had to earn the, the playing time this year. Remember people were trying to look into, uh, why is Josh Jacobs playing in the Hall of Fame game? Derek Carr hasn't really had a good game yet this season. No. That feels Last like week was good. It was all right. Last week was good, but they didn't score points. Yeah. But it, it was kind of like this game that but Russ nothing. had today, which was a lot of big time, like a lot of in-between, well, a lot of big time throws for Carr last week was in-between the numbers. And then they just couldn't put it in the end zone. And the, uh... Nothing has hit the heights of where we expected it to, given what he's now surrounded by. I mean, I thought he was going to be an MVP candidate. I exactly. thought, again, if you told me Mac, and Mac Hollins had another couple plays in here, if and you told me another one. that was going to happen. But uh, Josh Jacobs was the story here. Forced eight missed tackles. You're right. The, the, Devontae, I mean, you, you had the 15, was it 13 targets for Devontae Adams? Nine catches, 102 yards. He was good in this one. Great battle, by the way, between Devontae Adams and Patrick Sertan. Sertan yeah. could defense. He yeah. played well for the Broncos. Their run defense was just horrendous but, and, and, against Jacobs. And in particular, on that final drive when it mattered the most. Like, Russell Wilson got you back into contention, got you within two points. All you got to do, you got seven minutes left on the clock. All you got to do is get a stop at some point in the next seven minutes. You know? Yeah. And they let them march all the way down the field methodically, take five minutes off the clock, and score a touchdown. Literally the worst possible outcome for the defense on that drive. You know, again, if Denver, Denver's defense was supposed to be the thing, it's been carrying the team so far for the first three weeks. And then on that one drive, it let it down. So there you go. Let me make sure. We got every other game covered? I think we did. Talked about that. Talked about that. This is well done. Yeah, yeah. All right, Sunday Night Football, Kansas City Chiefs 41, Tampa Bay Bucks 31. This was, uh, the Buc I mean, the Chiefs got up early. The Bucks fumble the opening kickoff, Rashad White. And, I mean, Rashad White ended up being a huge part of the Bucks offense later. But he fumbles the opening kickoff, the Chiefs offense, pretty much unstoppable other yeah. than a couple drives late. But pretty much unstoppable. Bucks defense did not have any answers for Patrick Mahomes and company. And Mahomes has one of the most – I mean, I've never seen a touchdown pass like that ever. Most ridiculous touchdown passes you've ever seen. That was what – so, you know, there's a lot of debate as to how much of what Mahomes does is freaky, unique, um, manipulating defenses to create space that he then takes advantage of and how much of it is simply style points relative to other quarterbacks who just make the play, you know? Like, so – there's a touch, there's plays in there where Mahomes does Mahomes things and creates a play. And then there's, like, Brady just stands there and fires a dart to Mike Evans. You're like, well, yeah. the outcome is the same. Right. But we lose our minds more about the Mahomes thing because it's so unique and unusual. This was one of those plays, though, that isn't that. Like, this was a play where Mahomes 
makes three things happen that most quarterbacks can't make happen in the one play. Now, yeah, you can look at it and say, hey, Devin White just fell face first in the turf the way I mean Mahomes made a miss sure but like that's a that's a play that like Levante David probably makes that tackle Devin White doesn't because this is one of the reasons Devin White grades badly relative to everybody thinking he's a spectacular linebacker but Mahomes makes one guy miss that makes a second guy miss and then when he could probably force his way into the end zone but take a hit in the process he realizes that all of what he's just done is created space and he can just quickly lob a pass to a wide open Edwards Hilaire right um in the end zone for a touchdown. Mahomes, the thing that makes him special to me is he has that thing that I think is the single greatest key to unlock to get great quarterback play, which is the ability to make split-second decisions with everything changing around you. Yeah. And it's it's the it's a skill that is most obvious, I think, in soccer. And there are players that have it all the time. I think basketball is probably the same thing. But I guys think, that I always think seem point to guards, have, point guards yeah, in basketball, guys that always seem to have more time than it actually exists. You know, so one of the the big trend in soccer in recent years has been this idea of pressing. You know, and put players under pressure at all times, force mistakes, capitalize on the mistakes, win. There are players that you simply can't really pressure. You can rush them, you can get in their face, but they just turn away. They've always, they're always able to get space and they're not ever actually put under pressure. Um, and there's just something, there's an innate ability that those guys have that makes them great because of that. Mahomes has that, but most of the players that have that in soccer tend not to be physically imposing. You know, they have the, yeah. the, their great skill is that ability to just always make good decisions. And they tend to look like these sort of small guys that don't have incredible physical ability, don't have incredible pace, don't have all the physical gifts, but that's their super skill. So Mahomes has that in addition to having one of the best arms in the NFL, in addition to having more than enough athleticism to get out of uh, tackles and to make guys look ridiculous. Like he has a high-end physical tool set and that skill, which makes him basically unstoppable when he does things like that. Yeah, I mean, as you're talking through that, I'm thinking like Magic Johnson, yeah, and Larry Bird. Because you know, I think Mahomes, dating myself, but because <laughs> I know, think guys Mahomes, that had incredible, it just see things differently. Yeah, and I think he's the only quarterback in the NFL that attempts that pass. There are other quarterbacks in the NFL yeah. that could get to that point, but he's the only one I think that pulls up and you yeah. know flicks the ball to Clyde Edwards-Helaire. I think yes. every other quarterback in the league at that point in the play is throwing themselves at the goal line. You know, yeah. I mean, there's so we've seen quarterbacks scramble out, draw a defender, and then flip it. Yeah, right. But Mahomes, but this wasn't when he that. gets no, it wasn't that at all. I'm just saying we've seen that before, right? What we haven't seen is him getting out of the pocket, essentially saying, "I know I have a guy to, a, a guy to beat." Most most quarterbacks throw it away. Some draw the guy and still flip it, but that play wasn't open. He still had a play open. He said he was going to run it. Like he said, he explained this right when you talk about like adjusting on the fly. He had it up in his mind he was going to run for the yes. goal line. So that's the and thing. then as he's getting tackled, is just like I see this, flip it, go. He's that's the, incredible. He, his ability to realize mid play that oh this is actually different to what I thought it was. I was going to run it now, having made two guys miss, and the goal line's right there. But look, all this craziness has meant that. 
Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is now uncovered three yards ahead of me. Let's change my mind and flip it. Yeah. He's, I don't think any other quarterback in the league is able to make that calculation on the fly and change his mind and, and flip yeah. the ball away. That, like, that ability to change, your, change what you had planned on the fly is what I'm talking about. And his ability to do that, I think, is unique. So again, I think what makes the Chiefs so dangerous, um, and now apparently even without Tyree Kill, they're going to be that dangerous, right? Yeah. Is you combine that with Andy Reid in the history of creating offense through the pass game. You, you combine that with they create space. You know, they had they the Bucks defense had zero answers for Travis Kelsey, for any of the underneath uh, passes that the Chiefs threw. Mahomes also threw some, you know, he actually had some big time throws in there. He hadn't been making, um, you know, like, you know, seam routes, you know, back shoulder into Juju. And he hadn't been making those throws. It had been a lot of the underneath stuff that was creating big plays. So you, when you combine all of that, yeah, this is a, it's a dangerous Chiefs offense, obviously. This was the first time this season where the Chiefs looked like Super Bowl contender Chiefs, yes. you know, from their previous few years. Like, Tom Brady and the, the Bucks offense, they've had their issues this season. They've been dealing with injuries. They're still dealing with injuries. They had some players back. Obviously, Mike Evans was a huge part of this game. The He's a, a really – he may be one of the best – maybe the best red zone target in the NFL. Um, like Mike Evans had a bunch of plays. Chris Godwin was battling through his deal. But they're still down men, whether it's receiving core or the offensive line, which was um, you know still missing a couple of guys. But the Bucks' offense actually did fine. Like when Brady took control, they were able to. I mean, they put up 31 points. You know, so you look With at that. Three and you say, rushing yards. Yeah, and so you look at that and you say they their offense did a good job, certainly relative to what they've been doing the first three weeks. But what was looking like the best defense in the NFL just got wrecked by the yeah. Chiefs' offense. I mean, if you're uh, just to just to finish up with uh, with the Chiefs quickly here, Mahomes does throw a late interception, kind of. They were up 17, and he forced it late. He's he's got some of those plays. Even like the stat, the ultimate, the final stat line for for Mahomes actually doesn't even look that good. There's a few drops in there, four drops I believe, but only 6.7 yards per attempt, 97 passer rating. Doesn't actually look that special. But the Chiefs ran the ball well. The Bucks did play soft coverages, and in the Chiefs had answers this time. Right, we talked about this last year that the Bucks did play the two shell type of stuff, and the Bucks just kept running. I'm sorry, the Chiefs just kept running. They were running that counter play quite a bit. They they won up front, the offensive line. So the Chiefs showed, I think, that they had answers. As much as, you know, the, the takeaway is going to be Mahomes had one of the most ridiculous touchdown passes we've ever seen and all this stuff. The Bucks gave, uh, Chiefs earned it too. Bucks give the Chiefs the ball on the opening kickoff. So the Chiefs essentially, like, essentially just steal an extra possession. Yeah. Um, Brady gets blindsided on a sack. He fumbles. Hurts a sh- may have hurt a shoulder. Chiefs get the ball in Bucks territory again. So that was part of the reason why the Chiefs' offense didn't get stopped. Bucks didn't have any answers defensively. Um, and then, but if you're looking at it from a Bucks point of view, going back to why are teams two and two? I think the Bucks are two and two because they played the Packers and the Chiefs as well, and their schedule is going to get easier. So again, I, I think from a Chiefs perspective, like man, they they started three and one and they. They blew one against the Colts, but they've survived yeah. pretty well so far. Whereas from a Bucks perspective, Brady looked fantastic throwing the ball last night with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin back. I know Godwin came out; he went back in. Julio banged up again, but 
I think the Bucks' offense is going to be okay. Yeah. Like, we've been saying this for the first few weeks. It's been okay, and it's been dealing with injuries to the offensive line and the receivers. You know, once those guys get healthy or some combination of them gets healthy, the offense will be fine. And this game, it was fine. They put up 30 points. They looked okay. Okay, they couldn't run the ball, but who cares? Um, but they should be. I mean, the, the Bucks, the first three games of the season, I know all their receivers were hurt, but they were going, you know, early down runs to nowhere. Yeah, over and over again. I think They're running that... two tight ends out there like they still have Gronk. Like, they don't have the personnel to run the ball like that. No, but they don't, like, they didn't have the personnel to pass the they ball either. They didn't either, right. And that would have been, I think, the game plans made sense uh, with the context of trying to protect Tom Brady and make sure that he yeah. wasn't just going to get murdered every play. But now go back and let Tom chuck it around, I think, because, you know, he'll find... Uh, like I said, Rashad White had 50, 50 uh, yards on five catches. They they tried to add him to the passing attack. I think he's he's an upgrade over Fournette as a receiver. The, the question is going to be pass protection. Bucks offense looked. I thought they looked pretty good. Yeah. Overall, but they had zero answers for the Chiefs. The Chiefs were just unbelievable. Not that basically adjusting to what the Super Bowl game plan was because the Super Bowl game plan was you know don't allow these. Don't allow these big plays. And um, the Chiefs had open receivers left and right. Mahomes was finding them. And then adding to that, your uh, your spectacular touchdown, Isaiah Pacheco and uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, both running really hard. And, uh, yeah, Chiefs earned it, man. And the Bucks, they did a lot in terms of trying to mix it up. Like, they had a bunch of plays where they played coverage. They sent they the blitz because it wasn't working. Bit. Like, they, yeah. were, they were mixing it up, to, which is, I think – probably the correct strategy to not do one or the other but to try and time it up and just try and get it right every now and again in a key spot but this was one of those games where the Chiefs when they're at their best on offense there, there is no answer you hear this from Chiefs fans a lot too they when they um when they really have all the trickeration in in a given week we saw a speed option we saw the uh, the play that they used to only run with Travis Kelsey because Kelsey used to be a quarterback where they'd be motioning and, you know, the tight end would just stop under center, take the sna uh, snap and sneak it. They did it with Noah Gray for a touchdown yesterday. Like, the Chiefs treated this like, uh, hey, we want to win this game. Like, we're going to we're gonna unload the playbook. And that's what makes Andy Reid's offenses so difficult to defend is you have Patrick Mahomes, right? It's like we always talk about, oh, just drop back and, and chuck it. But, like, you're running a speed option with him. It's just this different thing that the defense has to defend. You don't have to run a speed option with Patrick Mahomes, but it's going to steal eight yards here and there, right? They had all of those plays in. They had the trick plays, and they had just your, your simple basic plays, and pretty much everything was working until the end. Yeah. I mean, this was – they – this was one of those – like, playing the Chiefs used to be like an arena league game. You know, they're going to score pretty much every drive. You need to either keep pace with them or figure out how to stop them. And at the very minimum, you can't be giving them free extra drives. You know, and the Bucks fell at the first hurdle, like the, the kick return, the opening kick return. You immediately give the Chiefs an extra drive. Yeah. Like, well, okay, if it's going to be that kind of game, you're already in trouble. Yeah, so the Bucks finished with three rushing yards on six carries. You yeah. got Rashad White, three carries, six yards. One of them was a one-yard touchdown. Leonard Fournette, three carries for negative three. And uh, it started like that. Fournette goes for negative three, and then the Bucks just said, forget it, we're passing. And then they passed like the next 27 plays or something, maybe even more. It was ridiculous. Brady had 53 dropbacks. 
against six rushes. Maybe yeah. that's the way to play offense if you're the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks, the average EPA per play for the Bucks was not dramatically different to Kansas City's on offense. You know, so the, yeah. the, the no running thing, I don't think, is a particularly big problem in this game. Their best chance to keep pace was letting Brady throw the ball around and hoping that they could steal a possession somewhere. Their issue was that their defense simply couldn't stop Kansas City at any point. One other thing, we've, we've heard this before, um, or we've said this before. Devin White wins Defensive Player of the Month in September. And Devin White, when you're watching the broadcast does do impressive things like if you're just watching the broadcast and you're like who is 45 that guy's flying around and i see him tackling making tackles and i see him i think he had a pass breakup last night he usually he gets to the quarterback a lot you know had two sacks in week one but you don't always notice the misplays yeah and if you do look at a lot of the worst plays the bucks have devin white is at the center of them that's all i'll say particularly plays where he's running to the flat for whatever yeah. reason. There are yeah. a lot of plays where he's running laterally and then ends up being nowhere in, yeah. no, nowhere in the resolution of the play. I mean, I was just talking, not name dropping here because it's not a name, but talking to a former NFL player <laughs> who was talking about one of his former teammates who was a linebacker, and they'd be like, hey, everybody loved so-and-so because he, he's got a forced fumble and a pick and a, you know, a sack or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but he missed 10 assignments. I mean, it really is, linebacker is really this position where if you look at the stat sheet and you see 10 tackles, sack, pass breakup, whatever. It's like, wow, well, he had all the good stats. But you just like, you missed, the, you missed where those tackles were. You missed the missed assignments and what he gave up. And I, that's, that's like the give and take with, with Devin White. He brings energy, he flies around, but a lot of the bad plays from the Bucks defense are kind of centered around him. Yeah. That's my explain the grade for this week. Bucks, uh, Chiefs move to three and one. Full command in the AFC West. Full command. AFC West, a little less competitive than we thought. Yeah. I mean, the Raiders aren't good, even though they won. The Broncos might not be good, and they're 500. The Chargers, I think, are probably quite good, but they're very beat up right now. And then the Chiefs do look very good. Yeah. So maybe the AFC West, not as good as we thought. But this is also kind of what we said is that, you know, there's maybe nine good teams in the AFC. It's not really possible for all nine of those teams to end up with really imposing records and look really good. And the Bucs moved to two and two. Again, their their schedule the rest of the way per PFF ELO is the easiest. You know, because you you have teams like the Seahawks and Steelers on the schedule that, you know, might might play tough games, but the Bucs should be better. I I think they'll be okay in the end but they fall to two and two tied for first we had we had a first place nfc south showdown next week bucks and falcons battle for first there you go all right is that it yeah it's like like eight minutes early this week (laughs) very efficient eight minutes earlier than two and a half hours thanks to everybody for tuning in that's week four in the books monday night football tonight 49ers and rams maybe we'll talk about that on wednesday or on the pff nfl daily be sure to sure to subscribe to that as well don't forget to get the PFF app. Go get it right now. App Store. PFF app. All your fantasy and betting stuff, plus all Sam's writing. Yeah. Find Sam's stuff. Like it. Share it. Share it out. Grab the PFF app right now in your App Store. Don't forget to go to, uh, you know, URL forward slash show code. Yeah, yeah. You got to do that. Shout out to show code. Did I get everything today? Shout out to Viore. Yeah. Joining the, joining the show here for your show, your uh, your shirt. No House Advantage, Western and Southern. Appreciate all of our sponsors. 
All right, that's it. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again on Wednesday.